Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sports powered by Sikkim365.com. Yeah, seven catches, 157. That was supposed to be a reverse pitch, and it blows up. And Salter makes a positive play and breaks loose, and he scores 35 yards. Wow. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important, so is your budget. Third and nine. Four-man rush against Plummer to the end zone. This time, and it's intercepted by Bethune. He made a great play earlier and comes up with the pick in the end zone. The Florida State defense does it again. 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance. Protecting Texans since 1952. 3-3-5 defense. Here's some trickery. It's a flea flicker. And it works to perfection. Jatavion Sanders wide open for the touchdown. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Ponies 5 of 8 on third down. Here comes the heat. Jennings off the back foot. Slings it into the end zone. And caught for the touchdown. Keyshawn Smith. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Hello again, a wide snap. He's got a wheel wrap to Jam Miller. Touchdown, Alabama. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. You know, we always, uh, there are days in which there is so much to get to. Today might be as jam-packed with information, including major topics, discussion. We have our guests line up and more. The opening of the transfer portal, the college football playoff arguments or enjoyment. Uh, There are players who are not going to play in bowl games. Uh, Today, Baylor introduced their offensive coordinator, Jake Spavitzaw. We'll discuss more of that and hear from him around four. 
It is, my God, where do you start, including when one of your co-hosts has been uh, intoxicated since Saturday afternoon, evening, watching Florida State, and then the weekend itself. Now, we're going to let you have your time. But if it's okay with you, we're going to open up with the transfer portal. Uh, I Okay. Uh, that'll give me some time to stew on this. I did have an hour where I got to scream into the void, so hopefully it's a little bit more rational now. That was a tease. That, that was that getting was, you warmed up like yeah. a singer for the National Anthem. And we're going to let Paul let loose, along with what we have to say, too. Craig Smoke, David Smoke, and also Paul Catalina. Emery Jack. Jack's out today, but always around. And then, of course, Garrett Ross here as well. Let's start with this comment from this was earlier today that is not even a complete list yet. Ross Dellinger. Here are the quarterbacks in the transfer portal. Kyle McCord, Dylan Gabriel. We knew about Cam Ward. We knew about Moore, Leonard, McCall, Van Dyke, Howard, Will Rogers, DJ. Uh, also, Blake Shapin remains in the transfer portal. We'll have more on that a little bit after four. Uh, there are names that don't include in that are not included in that list. It is mass transfer portal floodgates are open Kyle McCord was kind of a shocking one to me which leads me to believe like nobody on the list is a surprise except for Kyle McCord because they don't have a ready-made replacement you know on the route like you know Dylan Gabriel replaced by Jackson Arnold Cam Ward it's not shocking given the money going to him Dante Moore you know we kind of went through that you know, all the other ones. But Kyle McCord surprised me a little bit because Ohio State doesn't have anybody. Yeah, that they got Devin like, Brown, hmm. but he beat Devin Brown out this year. It was surprising because he did get better all year long, which leads me to believe that Ohio State's let him believe that there's a, a transfer coming. Yeah, absolutely. Craig, uh, obviously so much to get to. Dylan Gabriel has a year left because he's a graduate transfer plus a year left. Uh, your thoughts about that list? Because usually the transfer portal is about the quarterback. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, somewhat surprising. I mean, Dylan had a, another year left, so, I mean, I understand when the rumors got started about Jeff Lebby and, you know, him going to Mississippi State, there was the shot that, oh, well, maybe Dylan Gabriel could join him. I didn't really buy into those, but, you know, I suppose after weighing his options and as close as he is with Lebby uh, and the opportunities that beyond Mississippi State, I'm sure, are out there for a quarterback of his caliber, that was probably awfully enticing, and therefore he decides to enter his name in the transfer portal, I think, at this point in time, especially having moved on from Lebby. Oklahoma's wanting something a little bit different, uh, namely Jackson Arnold, so... Uh, yeah, if you're Dylan Gabriel and you feel like there's still a great opportunity at the college level, uh, then you're going to look around. And so I understand that, but still was sort of surprised by that. I just felt like at this stage, like you've kind of done all you can do, like move on and go try your, you know, your your trade in the pros. But okay, um, we'll see what happens there. It's weird though because you know he's not even going to be considered a sooner whenever he goes to the NFL at this point, which is so weird when you end your career yep, somewhere yeah. else, you know, you're in your way distance from being a UCF guy at this point. So don't know that I love three colleges for a quarterback in a career. I don't think that that's the coolest thing in the world, no. but then again, a lot of what's going on right now is not very cool. So um, yeah, that was surprising McCord. Um, that was surprising. Cam Ward was not Riley Leonard was not uh, a lot of these others were not. That's a good list, but it's, also not quite living up to the expectations that I thought of when people were teasing this. Now, granted, they were drumming up interest for their articles and all the stories that were going to break early this week, but the way it was being teased, like, just wait until the portal yeah. opens, I don't feel like it's lived up to that. I don't know about you guys. I don't. I, I feel like Dylan Gabriel's a shockwave of sorts. Kyle Especially McCord if he is, ends up at USC with uh, Lincoln Riley, would that not just be like 
typical, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that would be a really wild story, and I don't know, that'd be kind of a slap in the face to Oklahoma fans after the last couple years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's certainly a possibility as well, and it would be really interesting if that's what happens. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's a good list. It's a solid group of quarterbacks. I don't know. My expectations, I think, got a little bit too high because of just sort of the teasing at the end of last week. So that portal opened last night, and I'm like, all right, let the – let the you know inmates start to run the asylum, and it was like a slow drip. And then today we got a bit more, but nothing that I think is like super earth shattering. I think Gabriel's a surprise, McCord's a surprise, like I said. But beyond that, that's a kind of the list that you were expecting going in. Shapen, Shuck, of course, Texas Tech. A lot of teams uh, teams looking at him. I saw a note about maybe Louisville among others. All right, so and then Walter Nolan leaving A and M into the transfer portal, a big boy name. That one, I thought of all the players, like, you know, Evan Stewart, like, they may still have guys leave, and they haven't really, outside of Walter Nolan and another wide receiver, another, and Max Johnson, they haven't had an, an exodus, because I think that's part of the reason they brought Mike Elko back, because he had familiarity with the roster, sure. and that people liked him, and he could keep them around, but I guess Walter Nolan's big thing was Elijah Robinson leaving, because that's his position coach. He's on his way to at Syracuse to be the defensive coordinator to Fran Brown. Jeff Nixon going to be the offensive coordinator while we're talking about that. So the band's getting back together a little bit there that was here in Waco together. But uh, Walter Nolan did surprise me because Mike Elko, being a defensive head coach, you would think could kind of help Walter's uh, ascendancy to the NFL. But he's also – he's made big money at AM. He's going to make big money wherever else he goes. All right. So that's part of what today is. I saw a note from Max Olsen. There was 350. That was like two hours it's ago. 500 now. Now 500 already – in the transfer portal. So all of that. And again, we'll discuss Baylor, those coming back, those moving on at 4 o'clock with some audio from offensive coordinator Jake Spavital, who was introduced today at around 11.30. But college football, the college football standings released. And uh, everybody has their own way of trying to, I guess, tell a story. Everybody could try to why Alabama is in, or why Texas is in, or, of course, Michigan, Washington, unbeaten, and they're in, but so was Florida State. I had a bad feeling about this, and, Paul, I kind of sent a text to you about it when we had our group text late Saturday into Sunday. So they're done. They're out, and you can read all the reasons. I'll give you the floor, and we don't need you to, like, lose your job here, but go ahead. Well, um, the reason given by Boo Corrigan was that Florida State is a different team without Jordan Travis. So if I'm to believe that that's the real reason, the only reason that they had to keep Florida State out was the availability of one player. Because it's not about Brock Glenn, because Brock Glenn wouldn't play in the playoff game. And if the playoff game was next week and not a month from now, I could almost buy that justification as well, seeing as Tate Rodemaker didn't break his leg as well. He's in the concussion protocol and almost made it out to play the game this week, but just couldn't get in under the wire and wasn't ready. They won all their games. So if the only reason is Jordan Travis, then that's really not a reason because you can dive into, yes, I know the quarterback's the most important position, but... Georgia might be not in this thing be, at all because Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey were banged up and not at full speed for Alabama. So Carson Beck was healthy, but not everybody around him was. So that's why you play games on the field. And this reeks of me to 
they got down to the point where they had two Final Fours, one of them with, with Alabama in it and one of them with Florida State in it. And the question came, are we really going to leave the SEC out? And because Greg Sankey has done an excellent job of marketing his conference and throwing out these talking points, and it started from the minute that Jordan Travis laid there on the field with a broken leg. That's ex- if you, you know, watching the game, watching any game, that was the buzz. Well, does Florida State, like, does this affect the college football playoff committee, even if they go undefeated? Bill Hancock last week said, it's not about the foremost deserving. It's been the four best. It's never been the foremost deserving, even though that's a lie, because last year TCU was in. They were one of the foremost deserving and won a game. Cincinnati got in. They were one of the foremost deserving, but were they one of the four best? No, but they, but they got in. There's lots of those teams like that. And this was, we cannot, we're afraid of Greg Sankey and we are afraid of the SEC backlash. So this is what we're going to do. We can't keep the SEC out of this because they're grading this on history. And while the SEC has a great history in the playoff, the playoff in any given year is not about what you did the year before or 10 years ago or four years ago or whatever. It's about now. And in this situation now, Alabama certainly has a playoff caliber resume, and they've got good wins, including one over the number one team in the country. But in the end, they lost to one of the other teams that was up for this with the same record as them, and this exact scenario should have been the bingo of like, well, the SEC's out. Sorry, well, this changes next year. But instead, Boo Corgan can get there like, my heart goes out to Florida State. Well, I don't think anybody's heart would have had to go out to Alabama. Like, why, why did you make this decision? Because... If it's about what's on the field and if games matter and if the regular season is the most important and that's why they didn't expand the playoff forever, you just spit on that too. All right, Paul, Craig, your thoughts about it. And I want to get to the uh, Ohio State example that too many people, are, I think, are using about what they did with Cardell Jones in the Big Ten Championship game. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of thoughts, I think, like a lot of people do. And I think that more than one thing can be true at once. I think that you can say the committee got it right with the four best teams. But I also think you can uh, believe that their decision was gutless. Uh, and the reason why it was gutless was because I saw somebody, well, the, the real tough decision was to put the team that wasn't undefeated in there. No, the, the easy decision was to put Alabama and the SEC in the playoff. That was the easy decision. And it was especially an easy decision given this is the last year you're going to have to do it this way. So there is no, like, your precedent doesn't matter. What's happened before doesn't matter. What happens next doesn't matter because the 14 playoff is over. I think it was um, a really terrible look for college football that's what I think most of all like more than who was more deserving or what this you know should have been or what that should have been I just think it's a terrible look for college football I think it is a wonderful sport I think it's very clear that it is mutating in a way that's not going to sit well with everybody and it's going to look drastically different over the coming years Um, but whatever that ends up looking like I think it just does a disservice to its fans every single year with this charade of a freaking playoff committee and this stupid ass playoff this playoff is so dumb I mean the, the four team cannot go soon enough I understand well 12 teams not going to be any better I I beg to differ I think it will be better I don't think it's going to result in like you know Iowa State winning national championships I think it's pretty clear the writing on the wall of who's in and who's out as far as the you know the ability to compete in an expanded playoff year in and year out and it's going to be the same teams that are always at the end of the road when it's the four-team playoff and 95 percent of the teams are at the end of the road when it was a two-team deal so not really anything is changing there it's just that there's more participants to feel 
to feel like they have a chance whether they really do or not. But this four-team thing is not it, and I cannot believe I actually saw people up until last week arguing for keeping the four-team playoff. I mean, it is a joke that we're letting a group of freaking people who have interest in this and the outcome um, and the networks who have major interest in the financials of all this, they're the ones picking it. It's the only sport like this. It's the dumbest playoff in the world and the stupidest postseason in the world to determine a champion. And, you know, there's no exact way to do it because it's just set up so differently than everything else. But I know one thing. The four team can can uh, can move on along, and I will never miss this thing. This was the perfect way to close this on out because it just showed what a complete joke this has always been, what a political thing this has always been. And like I said, two, two, more than two things can be true at the same time. I do think they put the most competitive field together because I don't believe Florida State was going to be as competitive as Alabama will be in these games. I think you would agree with that, oh, Paul. Yeah. I think everybody would agree with that. And I didn't know that they set out and they said it's the most deserving. But at other times, they've not shown that. They've shown that it is about winning the games. And I think that the one thing that they showed and the one thing that everybody – can seemingly agree on is that college football just spit in the face of everybody who tried to parade the regular season as though it was the most special thing in the world because they just threw middle fingers at the regular season over the weekend and the regular season does not matter and is not as special as you seem to think in your mind or as it was back in the day that was proven with their decision on Saturday night I'm not going to go crazy over it if I was a Florida State fan I might but I think even Florida State fans are rational and they understand in the end there is that out clause of well it's the four best but there shouldn't be a clause that just fits your narrative depending on the year all right that's where I think this is all total bullcrap and that's why i think this thing is just a a charade and is the absolute worst way to crown a champion in all of sports professional or otherwise all right speaking of uh uh, hypocritical narrative uh double talk whatever uh in 2014 when you had ohio state get in hammered wisconsin 59 to nothing with a third string quarterback uh and they ended up winning the national title Baylor and TC were left out. They didn't have a conference championship game. Eventually they did because we heard about a data point, right? Uh, Also, uh, head-to-head then did not matter. But last week, Bill Hancock said, or excuse me, Boo Corrigan said, head-to-head matters. It doesn't matter when they played the game. So let me get to Cardell Jones in Ohio State to get to this year. Cardell Jones and Ohio State won the national title, so they validated being in the four. That doesn't mean one or two teams outside of that could not have won the national championship that were also deserving. There was another discussion about who's the top-ranked group of five team, right? Liberty, unbeaten, or SMU? Great run. Rhett Lashley will join us today at five. Here's a note on what was said about why Liberty got in as the number one group of five school because... As they mentioned in the quote, Liberty just continued to win. So they made the decision on the group of five number one seed in the New York New York uh, New Year's Six Bowl, but Florida State just continued to win, did not matter. One more note about Ohio State. Everyone brings up the fact that they boat raced Wisconsin, and they did, and they won the national title. Nobody ever brought up the fact that Virginia Tech kicked their ass in Columbus, 35 to 21, and Virginia Tech that year ended up 7 and 6. But that was not something that was mentioned during the run. Also, it's a bit of a different time to where you consider, um, and, and this argument can work either way, but there's no way Cardell Jones would be at Ohio State in today's 
college football. He would have transferred out. He wasn't going to sit as the third-string quarterback. Like, he wouldn't even been there to start the year. He's the third-string quarterback going in. He wouldn't have been there. But, um, which even makes what Florida State did even that more impressive, figuring out how to do this in the transfer portal era for two games with backup quarterbacks. It also dismisses the fact that there's more than one way to win football games. And while I agree, Craig, Florida State was going to be swimming upstream, up a mountain, like over, you know, rocks and whatever to try to beat Michigan because uh, they would have been the fourth seed to try to beat a Michigan team with their backup quarterback. But that doesn't mean that the coaches and the players couldn't figure out a way to do it because they just did twice I agree. And, and beat uh, Louisville, who was like ranked 10th in the country when Two they played. Two weeks them. ago, they were ninth. Uh, yeah. A lot of you have super chats. We're going to get to those. One on the transfer portal, a couple of them on the committee. We will, I promise, and thank you so much for the $5 or whenever total uh, super chats. Uh, you know, it sucks. It sucks if you're a Florida State fan. If you're Alabama, you have your, well, wait a minute. This is what we did. And it was a fantastic win for Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. Texas took care of their business. The one loss was in the Cotton Bowl to Oklahoma in the last second. They took care of their business along the way and looked really, really good doing it. Washington took care of their business, having to beat Oregon not once but twice. And Michigan, of course, rolled out uh, an unbeaten season along the way and beat Iowa 26 to nothing. I hate it. I hate it for Florida State. You would hate it for your team if you were undefeated and didn't get in, even if you're one of those that did get in based on the final committee members. And I don't want to hear Kirk Herbstreet or anybody else or somebody in the committee going, man, we really felt bad about Florida State. No, you didn't. Don't act like you care now because you didn't care when you made the decision of who plays in the semifinal. Yeah, I mean, Herb Street, I think he's made it pretty clear here with all the years that he's put in that he just wants to see the best games, so he's all for this. Um, I saw a tweet from Stephen A. Who? Why is he suddenly such a voice on college football? I, I don't understand. I never see a good take from him. And he's trying to use TCU getting blown out last year as an example for somehow why like Florida State got screwed. You mean the TCU that beat Michigan in the semis, Stephen A.? Like, I mean, it's just at least get people who know what they're talking about on there. But I get he draws ratings. But, I mean, that's just like the dumbest example. Like, they got to the national title game. They won a semifinal. How are we still using that as a reasoning for for this scenario? I, it, it's not even the same thing. But regardless, yeah, there's been a lot of different people, those folks, various others that have, have talked about this in, in a million different ways. But. I'll just go back to what I said. It's not even for me about, like, who got in and who got out. To me, the thing that I was just left with this weekend was, once again, how stupid of a way this is to determine a champion and what a travesty it is for this great sport to be at the end of the road. And rather than people getting excited, and I know there are people that are excited about the playoff or, you know, being consumed with all the other various things that are going on right now, it's a it's a – you know, whole debate about, like, who got screwed and why this didn't happen. And, and I just think that sucks. I think that's that sucks for the teams involved, except for the very few that always get the benefit of the doubt. And it's the ones that get the the favored uh, outcome and pretty much everything that's going on right now. And it's going to be the teams that go off and separate on their own here relatively soon. It's probably expedited after this past weekend, as we'll get into as well. But, yeah, that's the thing to me is just what a dumb way to determine a champion. I mean, that's that's the deal for me. Um, and Florida State, unfortunately, just happens to be the latest example of just how dumb this whole scenario is, that you can go unbeaten in a Power 5 and not get a chance at the title whatsoever. Like, what system is this? What kind of silly, 
championship system is this? And I get, well, it's the ACC's fault for not expanding. I mean, give me a freaking break, man. Um, This is a dumb way. The 12 team can't get here soon enough, and I don't think that's going to be perfect either. But this four team is not it, and I can't believe even last week I was seeing arguments for why the four team was the way to stay. This sucks. Four team sucks, and I don't care if we see blowouts in the future. At least those teams are getting an opportunity to play for it, and if they get blown out, they get blown out. But guess what? In most people's minds, TCU wouldn't have had a chance to play Michigan last year, and look what happened, right? And there's various other examples that you can come up yeah, with. Yeah, so. the thing about about TCU, people bring up the Georgia game, who would have beaten hell out of most everybody else they played, although they did have to uh, get lucky against Ohio State the, the, the game before. You play the game and see what happens. And, and hopefully that now will be the case even more so when they go to 12 teams starting next year. Uh, speaking of what Florida State dealt with, the, the committee chairman, not Bill Hancock, the lobbyist, the committee chairman was the, uh, the athletic director for what school, Paul? Boo Corrigan. Uh, North Carolina. Uh, an ACC team. Uh, you wonder how much he got his hands dirty in that room. With all due respect, I don't know. NC State. NC State, NC excuse State, me. Uh, NC State, Cunningham's North Carolina. Well, Cunningham, yeah. But is there a chance, which is also a side story to all this, that what happened to FSU and the ACC, could this bring back this, the, uh, uh, the fracture that we saw back during the summer? Is there a chance that something like this could lead to get the hell out of there okay. or do something separate. So if the argument from the people who tell Florida State to stay in the ACC that the best way for you to get to the championship is to be in the ACC because you can win that, well, that went out the window yesterday too. So that that's the thing. Now, I'm a, I'm a person who, as a Florida State fan, um, I mean, I would not mind watching them play those games in the SEC. It would be fun week in and week out, but I'm not completely for them changing leagues because like Craig in Oklahoma, you kind of know that there's a, there's a penance to pay for that. That's maybe not what you're used to as running a conference like, like Oklahoma has or Florida state and Clemson have for the ACC. So you're not going to win it as much as you used to in the past. Now it's less valuable because you could still get in the playoff of your 12th, but even still, um, yeah, I do think that that, that plays a account of it because if you're Florida State and somebody's trying to convince you that the ACC is the place you got to be, well, it didn't matter for them this year. Yeah, and, and that's if the SEC is an option, which we yeah. don't know that, and that gets into another part of it. Craig? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's the offseason, so realignment was going to perk back up anyways, but I think that that decision over the weekend certainly – um, you know, expedited that process as well. A lot of processes getting expedited here uh, recently. I've noticed the uh, West Virginia guy, MH Ver's back, so you know it's realignment season when these yeah. rumors start flying that, that seem just entirely off the wall. So, yeah, I guess that, that's where we've arrived now. Although it's a, a little confusing to me, just some of the stuff I see, it's, it's kind of outlandish and, and hard to uh, imagine that that's really based in reality as of this moment because there's just all sorts of stuff flying around. But I think the one thing that was mentioned, like realignment, that I just don't understand is doesn't this all just play into the hands of the people who made this decision to begin with? Mm-hmm. So they win again. Mm-hmm. So the people that just left out Florida State Florida State and their people then take that as that's the ACC's fault that Florida State didn't get in because why because they didn't because the letters because they were the part of the alliance yeah. a few years ago yeah. because they but like but why is that the ACC's fault 
So it's it was very odd to me. It's almost like people were just looking for a reason to say, like, yeah, we're this is why we have to leave. It's like, well, you already have plenty of reasons. Like you stated those all during the offseason, but this is now like the, the final straw that pulls the scar that they uh, yeah. that they had nothing to do with that the playoff committee who's influenced by the TV networks who have set up this whole thing with the SEC getting the teams that they wanted and the Big Ten getting the teams that they wanted, and they've orchestrated this entire thing, and we've all called them out on it. We've all been very clear about the networks and all that. And so now, after this travesty of a decision, the reaction is to just go play well, right into their hands and have those teams then go join the groups that they are... Like, do y'all see where I'm coming no, from? No, no, here? here's what I also... That's what up. I didn't get at all coming out yeah. of this weekend. Here's what we are now. If you don't get your way, you take your toys and go home. Or you quit. And that's what that would be. No matter how much of an argument Florida State has, that's who we are now. Watch what happens, not just in sports, but you don't get your way, you get pissed off, you go quit. Uh, instead of just, you know what, finding a way next year, go back and do it again. Yeah, I, I, I like joining the SEC would be like, oh, well, we can't beat them, so we got to join them kind of a thing. Yeah. And like, they just screwed us over, so let's go let them. Let's I, go I make mean, them even more powerful. Yeah, right. let's, let's, let's go, yeah no, so that, that to me, um, that to me is just, a, it, it, you know, it's it's shouldn't work that way. It shouldn't work that way at all. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I had another thought of this, but I've had so many runs. Yeah, it's just Craig, very you finish, and then we go to two super. Yeah, it's just very strange that I saw this, and I was reading Florida State fans, and they're like, this conference, like, the, the attendance sucks, and they don't care about it as passionately as Florida State cares about it, and screw the ACC, and... It's like, I get that you were already kind of angry with them. And then Drew Weatherford, who's like basically leading the charge, the former Knowles quarterback, who's like, this is exactly why we have to lead the ACC. It's like, what did the ACC do? They weren't on the playoff committee. Like, I get, like, they could give you more money, okay? I get that you weren't happy they invited SMU. I understand those things. Those things were already prevalent, though, before this decision was made. I just thought it was a very strange reaction uh, to go... They got screwed. This is somehow the ACC's fault, and this is why we now need to go join the two conferences that have basically been working with the TV networks to screw everybody and change college football. So you're just playing into their hands. You're not making any kind of grand statement. So I just thought that that was really strange and, and, a, and a weird reaction to it all. But I get the frustrations. I just think that you're doing exactly what the people pulling the puppet strings want you to do, and you're only going to hasten the transformation into the two Super League thing that, you know, we'll see what that ends up looking like on the other end. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a weird deal right now. And, uh, obviously, because of all of that, uh, realignment has, has now come back to the forefront. And I don't know how imminent anything is with, um, you know, FSU or the ACC even for that matter. But it's definitely going to be a topic of conversation because now it's, it's just it's been used as part of the storyline now. Is that, oh, well, if they wouldn't have been in the ACC, then they would have gotten in. Would they have in, in four-team playoff? And the, uh, on the, the other side of that, mm-hmm. no, it's I, an expanded playoff next year. So you're going to get in. Your odds are even better. So like, yeah. I, that, I, I, that was so All bizarre. Right. All right, we will get to the Big 12 bowl schedule later on. We will also get to the Heisman vote deadline that's today at 4 o'clock. In about 29 minutes, it closes. Uh, Houston with a new football coach of Willie Fritz, among much more. And I also will put up a link into the bowl game 
Pick'em Contest brought to you by TexasBeefHouse.com. And also thanks to Kim Coulter. We have one more of those left. It will be the entire bowl season and into the semifinals and championship game. From, uh, uh, let's see, Matt Rogers. Thank you for the super chat. Shouldn't FSU beating a 10-win Louisville with a third-string quarterback been confirmation they are, in fact, one of the best teams. College football, this is from uh, Matt, is rigged by ESPN and SEC. Let me read the other one on that. Does it feel, from B, does it feel like the committee sent a clear message the Big Ten and the SEC are the only conferences that matter? Did we just witness form of relegation? The Big 12's in it, and so is the Pac-12. Well, but the, the Big 12 team and the Pac-12 team are both going to be in those leagues next year, too. So, like... There's there's a little bit of that in there. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I thought that you know finding different ways to win, you know, was was a cool thing. You know that that's a testament to your coaching staff. That's a testament to your players to figure it out and for FSU to win with Brock Glenn, who was an absolute deer in the headlights the other night, and they found a way to ra- around it. And he played. He did not look. I'm not going to tell you he didn't play well, but he didn't make the big mistake, which is what they didn't need him to do. And they overcame a gigantic mistake on special teams, and they just did it and did it and did it. Well, I mean, just why not give them the chance to see if that works? It if probably Michigan won't, would have won a game like that with their defense, we'd hear about how great their defense was at championship level. A playoff where you can leave out a 13-0 and uh, Power 5 champion is a doofus type of playoff. I mean, it's the dumbest setup in the world. I, I know I'm going to keep harping on that, but it was just so evident this weekend of, like, what, what system are we – are we rooting for here? Like, are we celebrating here? And I know none of us are celebrating it, but it's like, what are we even doing with this thing? Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. You would think that that would be a feather in their cap as opposed to a, you know, detriment. But we're living in a different kind of world where it's just basically a bunch of old fuddy-duddies in a room with their various uh, reasons for why they want certain teams to get in and uh, their various, you know, reasons as to why this team looks better than this team and none of it ever makes any sense none of it's ever the same week to week that's why this whole thing's a sham to begin with is that there's no structure that makes any sense whatsoever it's just what you have to say to explain why you did what you wanted to do to begin with and that's basically what we saw this weekend they wanted those four teams and they just explained it the way that they needed to explain it and there's nothing anybody can do about it but yeah you would think that winning with your third string quarterback against a very good Louisville team and winning with your defense your exceptional defense would be a feather uh, in your cap or a nice thing on your resume. And Florida State just got told that it wasn't, that it wasn't a, a big deal or a feather in their cap or very impressive or and it didn't matter. And I think that that's just, again, spitting in the face of the entire concept of the regular season and of conference championships. And I don't want to hear anybody talk about the magical regular season and every given Saturday special and all this bowl we just saw that's not the case this past weekend. I, I mean, they if just that spit. changes now when they expand it to 12. Is now the regular season less important or more important? Um, yeah, I think it remains to be seen. Uh, okay. um, but all I know is there doesn't need to be a, a committee of, of, of people just sitting around making all these choices. I, right. I think that's what's the, the most garbage thing about this because there's just too many um, agendas – there's too much influence by the networks, and, and I think that that's just a really rotten way to do it. And I know it's not the NFL where you can just say, here's 32, they're divided this, and we take the top four. But, damn, try to come up with a way where it's like that you because know at least that makes some sense. The NFL, you win your division, you're in, and if you have the best records below that, you get a wild card playoff. CWJ 128, honestly, everything just went against FSU. If Alabama does not hit fourth and 31 against yeah. Auburn – 
An Auburn team that lost to New Mexico State. And I'm not anti-Alabama. I love Nick Saban. What he's done this year might be his best coaching job ever. I hate the system, but at the same time, we don't look at the warts on the other teams, do we? We look at the warts on the team that we leave out. No, it's like the p- committee saying one week this matters and the next week it's it's this matters. And, it's again, it's what matters to explain what they wanted to get done. And so, yeah, in the case of Alabama, well, let's ignore that. Let's ignore that they needed fourth and 31 against a bad Auburn team to survive at the last second. But let's dwell on this other thing. And let's put the, magnus- the, the microscope on, on Florida State's warts as opposed to Alabama's warts. And people just go along with it because there's, you know, Enough people that just don't care. We want the best games, and, and that's all that matters, and, and how you get there doesn't really matter. And so, again, the regular season doesn't seem to matter in this whole co- college football present day that we're living in right now. And as to the other texture, we appreciate both of the super chats there, and for anybody else, we appreciate those as well. But, yeah, I think you did see the uh, the cracks starting to grow when it comes to the whole separation thing. I think you're seeing that in the courts right now with the way it's setting up with NIL. Um, but I think that there's, and I don't know where it began. I, w- I want to read the book. I want to see the HBO show on where the, the seeds were planted because just the way that this has sort of been shuffled around and moved around and, and granted, there's some things that have had to happen along the way. Like Texas had to win all of its games or Alabama had to win or whatever to make right. it the way it turned out. Sure, But there has been this massaging of the leagues and the, you know, the expansion and the realignment and all of that. And it does seem like it's been one grand master plan. And it's been talked about for three, four years now at this point. And it's all now starting to come to a head. And you saw that with Florida State and the whole world. Now they've got to join the SEC and basically just continue on down that path. And so whoever orchestrated that from the very beginning, probably Greg Sankey and various others, I mean, Would have been sly, right? super Would villain have been master sly. plan. Yeah. I mean, yeah. truly super villain Jim master Delaney. plan yeah. with Delaney and Sankey and the networks and whoever else was involved. Because all these years, it's been slowly but surely coming to fruition. And now we're getting to the point where like, NIL is going to meet it and the courts and everything else, and it's going to probably happen. Yeah, I think that's where we're headed right now. And Florida have some legislators and senators, et cetera, they're Shut wanting up, to please. get, uh, you know, uh, hey, let's have pictures of text. This is an opinion poll. It's not like a jury trial. Well, uh, uh, go, I, the, we, yeah. we have to take a break in about three minutes. The, they, they say that. They're just trying to get oh, the people from they're calling them. Get, I know. But I, know. I, um, I do find it interesting, and you guys can ponder on this. Jim Phillips didn't lobby at all. Because he thought, there's no way this is going to happen. And, look, Greg Sankey is playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. I get that. But Jim Phillips didn't lobby, like, when asked, like, do you think they should? Like, he never thought that it would be a thing. He never brought up Sesame Street. Yeah, he never did that. And he shouldn't have to. But Greg Sankey knew. He knew. Like, this is a possibility. But who gave him that opportunity to talk? Yeah. What show, what network gave yeah. Greg Sankey a chance to go ES- on and campaign? ESPN. The night before yeah. the election. Yeah. From UW fan Jim, $2 super ta- chat to Penix for Heisman. Kim, we're going to get to yours uh, on about the transfer portal. With very, very good point about the money. And we'll get to yours, the nine ninety nine super chat. We appreciate you for that. Yeah, Michael Penix for Heisman. I mean, certainly deserving of a vote. I think Jaden Daniels coming out this weekend again, and you're seeing a lot of the sway there from a lot of the same talking heads about you know him being the favorite. But I mean, shoot, coming out of that game this past weekend, I mean, Michael Penix's ability to throw the football is going to be a terrific matchup with Texas. Um, and yeah, I think he's deserving of a, a lot of Heisman love. He was uh, really good, has been really good all year long. 
And uh, I think it's a shame that his star kind of faded uh, what seemed like here towards the tail end as far as being in that conversation. But he's absolutely deserving of, of being right there in the mix for that award. And, um, yeah, uh, if, you, if you chose to vote for him, then I'm certainly not docking anybody that, that chooses to do I'll that. I'll tell you this. It's, it's not easy to have the vote. It's fun when you do. It's exciting. But also at the same time, man, this year, i got to tell you, it was just brutal uh, in, in my opinion. When we come back, uh, I saw this tweet. Uh, from a guest that we're going to have, Jason Belzer, founder of At Athlete NIL. You're in the transfer portal, but if you breach a contract with a collective, don't be surprised when, one, you don't get your agreement paid out or you get sued when you don't fulfill your deliveries. And so all of that and more we'll hear from Jason Belzer as the transfer portal went wide open earlier today officially, and this is 365 Sports. Ring in the new year with unbeatable savings on the new 2023 Ram trucks during the wrap-up-the-year sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Take advantage of this limited-time opportunity and start the new year in style. Shop our great selection in-store or online today. Some say a dog is a man's best friend. But I tell you what, boys, you better. Tasty Oak Smoke Barbecue. Next in line. <laughs> Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold, plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now downtown on Franklin Avenue. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. 
Daniel Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one, commercial, farm and ranch, or residential. Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction with a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you. Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming, warm. Welcome home. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. We will get back to the college football playoff discussion, what it might mean not only for this year but future years when they expand to 12, what it could mean for conference realignment talk and more, plus Baylor's offensive coordinator Jake Spavital. Introduced today, we'll hear from him a little bit after 4 o'clock. Jason Belzer, founder for Athlete NIL, attorney representing coaches, joins us on 365 Sports with Craig and Paul and I'm David Smoke. Jason, I just happened to see your tweet about it's transfer portal, it's wide open. It's one thing when you're being flirted with or you're being courted. You, Oh, man, I get that kind of money. Uh, your thoughts about the players, how many, in your opinion, might enter the transfer portal, move on somewhere else, and yet not fulfill their own commitment? Uh, we're going to have at least a couple of thousand kids in the transfer portal. It will likely be the most active transfer portal in the history of the NCAA. It will also be the largest amount of money that will be transacted. Uh, we believe that the number will be in the area of around $400 million um, that will be issued via these collectives over the next year. Uh, and I am a big believer that we will be in revenue share in 2025. So this might be the most money ever given out through NIL at least. Um, and so the next couple of weeks are going to be certainly a very busy time for collectives and coaching staffs as they make their way through this process. So you mentioned in your tweet about, about adult, uh, actions have adult consequences and how much is that is is prevalent where you guys are not um you know maybe understanding that you have deliverables that you had to do and you've decided to leave texas a&m and go to usc well you still owe the aggie collective whatever you promised them yeah so it's interesting uh the reality is and you know to, to preface it for listeners our organization, Student Athlete NIL, runs more than 40 different collectives. So I can only speak to the schools that we work with, schools like Oklahoma and Rutgers and Wake Forest and Georgia Tech and Notre Dame. Uh, when we sign a student athlete as a business, we have expectations that that student athlete will uphold their end of the bargain. And that end of the bargain is not that they will continue to be a student athlete at the particular university, but we are pre-purchasing assets from them, assets like social media posts, appearances, autographs. And so when a student athlete gets up and says, hey, I no longer want to be at this university for whatever reason, that's their decision. They're free to do it. But we have an expectation that they will see through the end of the contract. And if they don't, then there's two options. Option number one is that we don't have to pay them what their money is owed, right? Because they didn't finish their contract. Just like if you sign an agreement to work for a company and then you get up six months into it, they're not going to pay you the other six months. 
Uh, and if they say, well, we want our money, well, we're going to say, well, you have to follow through. And if you're transferring from Oklahoma to Texas, well, you're going to have to show up at an Oklahoma Sooners football event, even though you're a Texas football player. How many student athletes are going to want to do the latter? Pretty much nobody. So you can't have any, your cake and eat it too. That being said, my assumption is that the majority of athletes that are entering the portal, they may have an offer somewhere else already. But at the other end of it, last year of all the student athletes to enter the portal, a good one third of them didn't end up anywhere. Meaning they thought they were going to get in the portal and make some money somewhere else. And they ended up without a scholarship at any program. So there are some student athletes that are going to have a very rude awakening and perhaps that's just a good life lesson for them. You mentioned the $400 million that's out there um, that you believe is going to be transacted this year. Um, Matt rule said last week between a million and 2 million for quarterback. Did he un did he nail that or did he undershoot it? So there's about uh 10 to 15 schools maximum that are going to pay that type of money for a quarterback. I can tell you absolutely. Listen, we work with the University of Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel went into the portal today. I've had conversations with Dylan in the past, and I've told him his market value is probably worth more than a million and a half. Uh, but it doesn't mean that every quarterback is going to get paid that amount of money. Yesterday, I posted data that we have collected from our schools that gives a uh, median look at how much student athletes are going to earn based on their rating. And uh, the median quarterback – uh, on the FBS level, a top 25 quarterback is going to make about $350,000. Um, that being said, as of today, we're talking about the 23 season. There's maybe 20 to 30 football players that are actually making more than a million dollars total in NIL. So they're not a lot of them. And most of those are quarterbacks. You mentioned revenue sharing as well coming uh, our way and you said it as soon as 2025 what form does that take and how does that how does that get done where the universities who um it's like taking their medicine on this and they really don't want to uh agree to this and 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 make it work uh i think the universities are not going to have the choice to agree to it mm -hmm. It's going to be a forced decision, and it's either going to be forced upon them through legislation. As an example, Senator Cruz is trying to push through legislation that allows for revenue sharing and creates a safe harbor position so that uh, student-athletes don't have to be deemed employees. I am not confident that any legislation will get through, and so it's most likely that this will either be forced upon them through the courts uh, which will have a decision by the end of next year on these subjects, or there will be some sort of preemptive move, uh, likely by the SEC conference. What I can tell you is that as an organization that works with several SEC schools, the schools have begun, and this is not anything that isn't out there, there's a reason why the biggest collectives in college sports are in the SEC. And it's not just because there's more money at a school like Alabama than there is at a school like Michigan. It is that the SEC is preparing themselves, they're weaning themselves off of that money that used to go to the athletics department and saying, hey, in a year or two, we're going to be at revenue share anyway. We're going to have to pay our football players at least $10 million. We might as well learn to do it today instead of being surprised next year or in two years when we have to do it formally. Uh, but for all the other schools, 
they're not prepared. There are many Power 5 institutions that are operating at $1, $2 million in NIL for their football teams. They will not survive this transition into a revenue share environment, unfortunately. Jason, how many of the players that are a part of the collectives that you run, the ones who do sign agreements with whatever school, SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, or Troy, for example, in the Sun Belt or somebody else in the American, how many of them actually, in your opinion, understand it's not just they get money, but what they have to do in return? The, ma- the majority have an understanding that there is some sort of requirement most of them believe that they are signing this contract because they are getting paid to play at that particular university. But it's not, that's not the truth, right? The truth is that we have to be able to go out there and actually create value from this. It's not my decision as a business owner, what happens, whether or not that kid plays a snap, whether or not he performs well, there is an expectation of return on value. And we have, again, as I can only speak for us and our organization that runs these collectives, we have an expectation that that value will be returned to us. Some collectives may not, right? There may be a collective at a school that says we're simply a conduit to launder money to players, mm-hmm. and we don't care whether or not they actually do anything for it. For us, it's a very different operation, and so it's you know a unique position that we have to be able to balance. I mean... It's no secret. I'll give you an example again. I'll use Dylan Gabriel. I think very highly of him. But we're running a big campaign at Oklahoma right now, and Dylan is the star of that campaign. Well, today he's no longer an Oklahoma football player, and so I have to be able to deal with the repercussions, the business repercussions of having his image posted on advertisements that no longer validate what I'm trying to sell. And so that is a reality, right? If you're going to move – and transfer and you did an endorsement deal with a local business, that business is not going to be interested in working with you anymore. And they're going to feel like your contract was breached. Can you go back and, and, and go back to what you were saying about the SEC and sort of preparing behind the scenes? I'm sure as you, you well know, Jason, there's been this longstanding fear and it's really bubbled up here with all the realignment the last few years about the break off, right? The big, the super two, the power two, the break off. Kind of playing into what you said, that certainly feels like that's one of those types of issues that could further enhance or completely separate the haves from the have-nots. Is that how you see it, and would you lump in the Big Ten because of all the money that they're getting, or or do you feel or do you sense that they're preparing in much the same way? For example, those two kind of being on an island by themselves, doing things a different way, whereas the others don't or can't play that way necessarily. Yeah, so the clearly there's a larger delta in the SEC and the Big Ten as it relates to total athletic budget, total revenue via multimedia rights and other initiatives, ticket revenue and other deals. Obviously, Michigan State generates a lot more money in ticket revenue than it does than Rutgers. But it's not just the SEC. I can't sit here and say to you that Mississippi State and Vanderbilt and Rutgers and Northwestern are going to be part of this new whatever college football looks like in the next couple of years because they don't bring the same type of value that a lot of these other larger institutions do. And so the short answer is that, yes, part of it is the money, and these leagues are quietly preparing themselves, but it doesn't mean that each of these institutions are going to be part of that transition And if they want to be part of that transition, I'm a Rutgers alum. I played football there. If Rutgers wants to be part of that, 
Rutgers is going to have to make some very difficult decisions about the number of programs that it has. Maybe the most guaranteed implication of what will happen when we move to revenue share is that we will see women's sports, as an example, gutted. Absolutely gutted across these institutions. Because if I have 100 football player and basketball players that I need to pay now, likely as employees, that's 100 women's scholarships I no longer need and no longer can afford to have. And that's just the reality. So with Title IX, that means also that some men's sports are going to gut it as well because you got to make those things balance, right? Not necessarily because what Title IX says is an equal balance, but if a student athlete is deemed an employee, they're no longer a student athlete. They're an employee. So you no longer have to balance out 85 football scholarships with 85 women's scholarships in other sports. Jason, so there would, goes all your women's programs. I'm sorry, but would that then also all of a sudden, for a group that has more important things to deal with than college athletics, would that then not get people in Congress' eyes a little more focused because they'll get hammered if, in fact, women's sports just disappears? It's too late by then. I mean, it will be too late. If once it happens, how could any congressman or senator come in and say, well, you can't do this? What are they going to tell their state university, come up with an extra $10 million? It's too late, right? What are they going to start appropriating state taxes to do it? Well, good luck, right? The point is, if they don't fix that solution now, they're going to have a problem, which is why Senator Cruz's legislation is really the only thing that likely can save women's sports because what it does is it allows that safe harbor position that basically says that football and basketball players will not be considered employees and so allows some flexibility for the university from that perspective. But, you know, we all know what Congress is doing these days and I'm not very uh, optimistic that they're going to be able to find a solution to this when there's a lot of other bigger problems they have to worry about. Yeah, like staying open. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so um, we didn't do this in the beginning, but we probably should here at the end, just for people who may be joining us like in the middle. What does uh, Athlete NIL as a group, um, what does your organization do that's, that's maybe a little different than just being a solitary collective of, of ex-schools fans that are, that are sending money out, out to, to players? Yeah, so I appreciate that. We are a what we refer to as an agency of record. We are now the largest deal maker in NIL. We have more than a thousand student athletes that are under retainer contract with us across more than forty different institutions. So we are essentially going into institutions, starting collectives and putting entire rosters on contracts where those student athletes are working off that money by doing activations for us, whether those are social media posts or other things. And so if you go to Oklahoma, as an example, where probably some of your listeners are from, every single football, men's basketball, and softball athlete at the university is under our payroll, Uh, no different than any of our other institutions. Um, So we have a lens of cross multiple schools versus one independent collective that may be just hustling for their individual athletes. We are now distributing more money and doing more deals than any single entity out there, other than the NCAA, put it that way. (laughs) All right, uh, Jason, good stuff. We appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for your time, and uh, good luck with whatever moves forward 
in the uh, business of NIL. And speaking of that, of course, we want to welcome, as we did late last week, GXG as one of our newest sponsors of what we do every day here on 365 Sports. And speaking of that, we'll get back to maybe the weekend of Baylor football. Uh, We'll hear from Jake Spavital. We will get into the Big 12 schedule as far as the bowl games, and we will also spend time making sure we don't like talk so much about the college football standings that we don't go over some of the college football conference championship games too. So much to get to. Craig also sent a note that mentioned, is this the death of modern college football? That's, uh, just let him discuss that a little bit later on. We will do that too. This is 365 Sports. Ideal MRI, Dr. Rob Maxey, Ideal MRI in the Central Texas Marketplace just off of I-35 in Waco. If you have a doctor or your doctor is asking you to get a better look at whatever is hurting you, uh, it might be in your back, it might be in your hip, it might be in your shoulder, could be in your knee, something doesn't feel right and it hurts and you're taking medications maybe painkillers, or something to try to alleviate that so you can sleep and you can work or you can remain focused and not be shut down. Ideal MRI can get the information you need, the evidence you need, or at least clear the air, not that, and then find out what else it could be, a muscle, a ligament, whatever it could be. And it's $497 or less every single time. The average is $1,100 for an MRI, and it continues to rise. So if, in fact, you need an MRI, tell your doctor. Explain to them if they don't know already, and they probably do, idealmri.com. Call can make all the difference on and off the field. I'm Mark Stewart with Bird Colgen Ford. When it's time for a new car, truck, or SUV, Bird Colgen Ford is the right call. Come check out our award-winning lineup of best-selling models in their class, like the Mustang, Explore, Expedition, F-150, and Super Duty. Make the right call for your next vehicle at Bird Colgen Ford. Bird Colgen Ford proudly supports Baylor Athletics. Sikkim Bears. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. Don's Humidor, your home with a 48-foot walk-in humidor with the elite cigar brands from around the world, including the number one cigar of the year, Aging Room, Quattro, Nicaragua. Plus, they have the great brands like Macanudo and Artur Fuente, Rocky Patel, Aston, and so much more. CBD, great for sore muscles, aches and pains, sleep, Vita Dreams, and anxiety, mild depression, general health and wellness. Their staff, very knowledgeable on the subject. If anyone is curious about CBD, ask Carolyn Ashley. Don Schumanor in the Talwa Shopping Center off Valley Mills in Waco. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike, whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. 
Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco is your holiday item superstore. Half spiral hams, 8 to 10 pounds for $4.45 a pound. Pit hams, 12 pounds for $4.45 a pound. Bone-in hams, 18 to 22 pounds for $3.40 per pound. Whole raw turkeys from 12 to 16 pounds for $2.50 a pound. Whole smoked turkeys, that's smoked turkeys at 9 to 12 pounds for $3.75 a pound. And mini pit hams, 6 to 8 pounds for $5.99 a pound. And don't forget, they have full service butcher shop where you can find what you want, pork, poultry, seafood, and beef. And I bring up the beef because big beef tenderloin or a prime rib. Brian Bauer and the Bauer family, full service bakery with fresh baked kolaches every morning and bread and cold beer and wine, tailgate needs from pellet fuel to charcoal. Waco Custom Marketplace and the holiday items, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco. This is 365 Sports. The Sikkim 365 app is brought to you by Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat. Come by, let's be friends. All right, this 4 o'clock hour. In a moment, we'll hear some of what we heard today from Jake Spavital, the new offensive coordinator at Baylor. Phil Bennett in this hour. J.J. Joe, former Baylor quarterback, will join us today as well at 445 and Rhett Lashley SMU head coach what a year for them and what they have coming up with the ACC Cedric Golden of the Austin American Statesman on UT and the run they made and who they are and what they have ahead of them uh, as they are peaking at just the perfect time Craig Smoke Paul Catalina on David Smoke over the weekend GXG we've told you and Mac Rhodes has said this also Jeremy Fudge among others that they're going all in and more public than ever before about Baylor in the NIL. What was going to happen with Richard Reese? The two kick returns only reminded everybody how dynamic he was. He's back. There's his tweet. Green and gold, Richard Reese. Thoughts that he might leave. He's back. Also, Monterey Baldwin, who was one of their more dynamic players. Craig Smoke earlier mentioning again that he's back for the 2024 year. Feels like a win for Aranda Spavital and crew. While those two are coming back, there is this one. Blake Shapin, who we knew last week was going to enter the portal, is still in the portal. He talked with uh, Jake Spavital over the weekend. Spavital will have that for you on the Blake Shapin news. He's still in the portal. And tight end Drake Dabney, one of the better players on the team, his image and saying, thank you, Baylor, he now has also entered the portal. Craig, we'll start with you, then Paul, and we'll discuss these four names and then get Jake Spavital. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think Baylor's had like over 50 guys or around 50 guys that have pledged to come back. I I, I sure hope this isn't a yearly thing where you have to go like either. check the entire roster off um, after the season wraps up. I've not seen everybody else or anybody else for that matter doing that, but I guess with their situation with Aranda and coming back and it being known that this is really his last year if he doesn't get it turned around um, and just all the questions about you know who they're going to have a you know on the roster and all that. It's a way of, you know, creating some spirit and uh, also some, you know, belief in what they have coming back and just kind of getting things drummed up and exciting uh, after a very long trying year. And so it's been interesting to see that process play out. And, and like I said, there's been like 50 guys now at this point who have publicly made a decision of some sort. So on the one hand, it's like, how many guys do you want back and how many guys do you like need to turn over to be better next year? Or you're, I guess, banking on that 
so much of that roster was young and that you just simply need them back in to have another year with some different coaching, and that will be the cure-all uh, for what ailed you. Um, I mean, that's, that's the way to read it now, given that you're bringing back so many of those guys. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of the young players, but those that you mentioned, I mean, Richard Reese, I'm curious to see how he fits in Spavital's offense, but obviously a player who did not get used to the best of his ability this season uh, in the, the offense they were running with Jeff Grimes. He was basically a non-factor uh, in so many ways compared to the year prior. Uh, who was the other one that's coming back? Uh, Monterey Baldwin, I mean, that's huge. I think in this spread-up tempo offense, he should be able to thrive in that. That's a guy who very well could have walked into the portal and we would never have seen him again. But um, to get him back, I was almost surprised by that. Not so much Richard Reese, although I was a little bit there. But Monterey Baldwin, I figured he'd probably go somewhere else. And so to see him come back, I think, is great news for them. So that's two playmakers that they have. Uh, and then you don't have to go out in the portal and be like, we need a slot wide receiver who can do this or do that. You've got a couple of guys. Uh, you've got a guy, in, in for that specific example, with Monterey Baldwin. For the other two, Dabney, I, it was always going to be NFL or, uh, you know, the potential of, of coming back or the potential of entering the portal. And I just thought that the portal might be the last option, but that's where he's headed. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, good for him. I'm sure he'll make a mint and – you know, go play for a team that's, you know, competitive and, and probably in the mix for some championships. And, you know, he's earned that right, but still tough to see him go. He was your best receiver uh, for the most part this past season uh, right there with Monterey Baldwin. So that's a blow for the tight end room and a blow for the offense just overall. That's not one that you really are like, oh, that's good attrition, or we wanted to see that. The Dabney one's a guy he would have you would have liked to have had him back. And then Blake Shapin, um, you know, I think at this point, I'm I'm all for it. I'm all for him going and doing something different. You know, when they talked last week about having a conversation with Blake and potentially changing his mind, and Spavital even left that open earlier today as well, that they're still continuing those conversations. I can see the logic in bringing him back, but I also see the absolute need to just move on at this point. Mm-hmm. And so if he stays in the portal as appears he will, that means he's most likely moving on. And I think that's probably best for all parties involved uh, at the end of the day, even though it would make the quarterback depth issue a lot simpler. You'd still have the whole dilemma of running back your quarterback competition from last year. And then what happens after spring when you crown, you know, what if Shapin beats out Sawyer Robertson again? Does Sawyer Robertson say, screw this, I'm out of here. Um, so you, you can avoid that issue, but they're going to need some quarterback help with Shapin in the portal. I'm just not going to lose a lot of sleep over the fact that they're not going to have him on the roster. So one guy that you hate to see go, one guy that you understand, and it's not a huge deal in the long run, in my opinion. And then a couple guys that you are more than happy to have back that should be big contributors for you next year. So a mixed bag, but that is the, the transfer portal in a nutshell. Yeah, I think uh, making sure you got the two best playmakers on the roster back in this new offense was especially one that if you look at, if you keep Richard Reese and you keep Monterey Baldwin, it's going to highlight them a lot better than the last offense did. So, yeah, it's very important to keep those guys and – you know, the, the, there's going to be guys that walk into the portal that nobody's going to be like, oh, no. You know, that, right. that, that's going to happen. There's some that probably would, I mean, <laughs> in a way, hey, you, you probably need to look but, somewhere else. But, look, but I, I agree with Craig 100% in that 
I think Blake Shapin will probably be a better fit somewhere else right now, and that Baylor's probably best off not to try to to, to run it back. It's just one of those things of like get a fresh start, see what's going to get a new offense, new quarterback, all those things. I think Soria Robertson's skill set lends itself to this uh, offense as well. I mean, he was already playing an elite system when he transferred in, which is why it was kind of a big jump when they when they got him uh, in in that offense in the in the wide zone. So yeah, I think that's best for everybody. Drake Dabney. You know, go to a place that's going to feature the tight end a little bit more than than this offense will, and, and knock yourself out. Plus, they had kind of a glut of tight ends on the roster, so it was going to kind of happen anyway. Find the fits that are best for you and move on. That's how college football works now, uh, and so they've got their work cut out for them. And it's not really several really skill positions that are the problem, guys. As we know, um, I mean, it, they they could get better at wide receiver. I think Keytron Jackson another year in a system that maybe highlights what he can do will be better. Hal Presley's reliable, but they probably need to go get more wide receivers. But it, this is about the 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 big dudes, yeah. the hogs up front. And yeah. speaking of that, Eric McTales is on his way to Arkansas, and now they're looking for a new offensive line coach. Craig. Yeah, I, I just think with Blake Shapin, it's like you've done that now the last couple of years, and if you're going to go out swinging one final fight, I mean, why not shake it up and try something new? Like, I, I just think it would be a real bummer to run it back again and basically be like you look in the mirror and you don't see that much of a difference, and you try to like, no, this year really, this is I, – I just think Blake Shapin kind of represents the last couple of years, if that makes sense. And so with this one final swing for Aranda to get it right – I mean, go all in on a new guy and see if that, that makes a difference for you. Sawyer Robertson or whoever you might go get in the portal, what we do know is they're going to be in the portal and they will be you know, looking for a quarterback amongst other things. But Paul's right, and it's, I'm not so much worried about the skill guys. I do think that you know, we still need to see does Dominic Richardson come back at running back to complete that group. Uh, we haven't seen that just yet. I think most of the receivers outside of a couple of them, Armani Winfield, Hal Presley, uh, have not declared – um, but you have a good group to work with there, but you're going to probably need to add a receiver or two. I think you're good on tight ends for the most part. Spavitol actually is not a post. He's, like he's, he said today he works with the ingredients that are in the kitchen, so their glut of tight ends is actually not a negative. It's something that he can use, but uh, all of it does come back to whether it's offense or defense where a lot of other guys have, have already pledged to return as well. It does come back to the lines. And, uh, and that's where I'm very curious to see how they, you know, go about trying to fix uh, the offensive line in particular because guess what everybody else in the portal is looking for? They're looking for quarterbacks just like you. They're looking for offensive linemen just like you. They're looking for defensive linemen just like you. And so what makes you special or what makes you have the ability to go and get the right guys, the right fits that can make impacts Next year, it has to be next year for Aranda. This is not any two, three years down the line if they pan out into no, 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 no. You get you need guys through the portal that can help you win right now or you're not going to have any more opportunities to try and go win. So, yeah, the skill guys, uh, those have, have kind of cleared themselves up and that's a, a good start for Aranda this offseason and Spavital and the rest of the staff. But they do have a running backs coach vacancy now with A.J. Stewart gone after just one year. They have the O-line coach vacancy with Eric Mateos gone to Arkansas. So they need to fill those as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a it's not an impossible task, but it's going to be very curious to see how they maneuver through a, a very crowded marketplace. All right. Uh, speaking of the offense and what they're going to do, obviously Jake Spavital announced last week. Um, and he was today available to the media along with head coach Dave Aranda here are three or four answers that Spavital had based on questions today about the Baylor offense. Jay David Smoke, 365 Sports, 
have you already had time or have you had time to look at the personnel? Some are coming back, some are not. Have you had time, and how does that affect what you do immediately on the recruiting trail? Yeah, fortunately, I've been up against these guys, you know, recently. <laughs> you know, so um, I have a pretty good idea. But in today's ever-changing climate of college football, you know, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Like, you know, as you guys saw, you wake up this morning, and, uh, you know, the whole country is, you know, moving and shaking, and, and ESPN alerts are hitting your phone. And, you know, so um, it's more about, like, what I see is that there's not much attrition at this school compared to most, you know, and that's just, that's a compliment to Coach Aranda and the culture that he's created here. So you're allowed to really just kind of look at what we currently have, which I have looked at a few of these guys. Um, I do think there is, there's pieces in place to be successful here. I truly do. And I do think that the spread system, um, you don't have to be perfect all the time. And, um, and it, it allows these guys to play more freely and openly. And uh, that, that's something that where you may not be the most talented person, but you can have a lot of success in this system. And, um, you know, like there will be a lot of moving and, and shaking, as I've said, over the next, you know, month. But, um, you know, once it like solidifies down, you know, it, it, we'll have a pretty good direction on what we're going to go from a personal standpoint. Hi, Jake. Shadji Adam with ABC 25. You kind of touched on it. What is the identity of the offense that you want to have on the field and off the field? Yeah, it, it, we're going to be a spread up tempo offense. And you probably hear that heard a lot but like playing with tempo is going to give us an edge it, it really does uh, I think in today's time uh, defenses are so innovative and so creative like you're gonna you used to be able to go up against a team that was a four down team and that's what they do the entire game now you got to block it all they're going to be in bare fronts and odd fronts and four down fronts everything so I think tempo kind of uh, really combats that at times and then puts our guys in, in better positions where they don't have to block all the exotic looks so we're going to be a spread up tempo team uh, but I think the run game, what we've done over the years, is, is more of a downhill approach, you know, because, again, there's so much variety with defensive fronts. You know, if you do get caught in a bad look at times, and, uh, you can at least manage to get that back to the line of scrimmage where you're not dealing with negative plays and, and you're still trying to play and stay on course and, and not play behind the chains. But uh, you've got to establish a run game so you play fast and you got to hammer the ball downhill. And... Uh, and then it's all about vertical shots down the field. And I always try to take around 10 shots vertically down the field a game. That's like the, the goal that I'm always trying to hit. Um, so you're going to see a lot of vertical shots down the field. And then just from my air raid background as well, there will be an element of quick game and, and perimeter screen game and everything to get the defense running sideline to sideline. And, and the theory behind that is, is if you're playing with a great pace uh, and you're getting the defense to run sideline to sidelines, like you can get them to wear down pretty quickly. And, uh, and at that point, then uh, it, it, the ball's in our court. So there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of conditioning involved. There's a lot of uh, an edge and toughness. But if you're just playing with a, a good pace and you're being aggressive and, and tough and running downhill and still keep them on, on their toes and going sideline to sideline and throwing it vertically, uh, it's, it's a really good balance and it's very, very tough to defend. Jake, the news of Blake entering the transfer portal kind of broke today with the portal opening. What's the priority there, obviously, with the spread offense needing a quarterback to run that system? And do you attack the transfer portal yourself to find that guy? Yeah, I think you're going to have to. Um, you know, if, if Blake decides not to come back, I'm still in conversations with Blake. Um, you know, I get, you know, a new guy coming in, uh, a lot of unknowns, and uh, he's got to build a relationship with me. So that's still up on uh, that's still on the table. But just from a depth purpose, this is why, like, especially at Texas State, when I was in these scenarios, you know, you have to build depth, you know. And uh, and sometimes the easiest way to do that is to get into the portal. But 
Uh, I do believe quarterback play is uh, is the key to success. <laughs> I really do. Um, the best offenses I've ever had, I've, I've had really good quarterbacks, you know, and I've been fortunate. I think I've coached 10 NFL QBs, and uh, those have been some pretty solid offenses when you got a good guy, uh, you know, at the trigger, man, at that, at that position. So um, that's going to be that importance. But, you know, um, you know, losing Blake, uh, I think he's a great player, um, and he's a proven player and played a lot of games. And uh, we'll see where it goes from there. You know, just still have the, the dialogue and conversations with him and, and, and still be kind of searching around for anybody else. All right, so there's Jake Spavital earlier today with Dave Aranda. Then he hit the road immediately as uh, he needs to, as everybody else who can should, uh, including whatever they do, filling the positions at running back and offensive line coach too. Uh, we will hear from Phil Bennett momentarily on Jake Spavital, but also Jake Spavital's offensive line coach at Cal is now the offensive coordinator at Cal, Mike Blesch, who was once a high school coach at Temple. With Mike Spradlin, and then went to UNT Tulsa, and has been uh, around other places too. The other super chat we did not get to was from Kim Coulter. Kim, don't you think it's possible, uh, if not probable, given the statement from Nebraska's Matt Rule that it now takes millions to get a quarterback? The money is so large, the kids must enter the portal they would be dumb not to well um i think it's a good uh super chat to follow up jason belzer that we had earlier jason said that you know there's there's a few schools that have the the wherewithal financially to be able to do that so there's not a whole lot of guys that are in that tax bracket but it's gonna make people think i mean like it's hard to tell somebody that right you know, if you think that you're a million-dollar quarterback and you're going to go into the portal, it's hard for me as a coach who leaving who's not going to pay you a million dollars to be like, hey, uh, you're yeah. not a million. you're a hundred thousand dollar guy, but you're not a million dollar guy. We'd love to have you for a hundred thousand, but that's hard to tell people. But yeah, I, I do think that 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 very reason and that number being out there is why you're going to see a lot of quarterbacks in the portal, and they're always going to have a place to go, and they're always going to make some nil. I think there's going to be some disappointment in that. In that, you know, you think like, oh, I'm going to go so and so, and I'll get a hundred thousand or or a million, and you might get in, in six figures, but you're still getting money. So yeah, I think. Uh, Jason kind of pointed this out, but it's, it's very misleading. And I know that's not what Matt Rule was doing. He was just talking about, you know, what he's seen so far. But it does set a bad example of, like, that's just what the norm is. And it's not even close to being the truthful norm. A million and a half for just a quarterback. I mean, yeah, for the best quarterbacks that are out there, not for just any quarterback. Uh, so I do think that, that that needs some clarification for those that come across and just read that headline. It's like, yeah, for – for Dylan Gabriel, he'll probably get a million DJ and a half. Ugalele? I don't even know about a million and a half, but yeah, maybe, uh, maybe the you know th- that kind of a guy would as well. Sure, um, as, as as far as this pool goes, Cam Ward absolutely uh, will get a million and a half, if not more. But um, you know, there's some others that have joined the the fray that I'm not paying seven figures to in in no way, shape, or form. I don't care how bad I need a quarterback that can be spent better else. Uh, elsewhere so um yeah i mean it's it's very interesting um i do think too it's like uh who was that earlier as an a&m player that was talking about how there was all that talk about how you know they were all making all of this money right away and they weren't even getting anything initially but the the reason everybody thought they were getting money was because some random poster had said that they were getting paid this much money and then that just got taken by probably but you know by longhorn fans and whoever else wanted to poke fun at a&m and be like see see 
It's just all. It's, it it's was all Bobby very Taylor, wasn't it? Huh? Uh, was it Bobby Taylor talked about it you, might have two been. years ago? You would have told me Jimbo Fisher was gone. Yeah, and that uh, all these millions of dollars that people were saying we were getting, and some people responded. I I know a couple of them. Life comes at you fast. Yeah, but they, they weren't getting anything, and yeah. yet the the public perception was that they were raking in millions of dollars, and it was like, no, that's not exactly what was going on there. So I do think there's a lot of just like fake noise that's out there as well. I think some of that's driven by NIL reporters and the, the type that where that's kind of, you know, their, their angle is to really pump that up. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's a very interesting landscape and it's not, I think to the point I'm trying to make, it's not always what you hear. It's not always what you read. It's not always what you see. And right. so some see that Matt rule quote and they think that's just how it is. And it's like, no, that's a very select grouping that he's talking about for a big time quarterback but who knows maybe that's just the norm here sooner rather than later with all of the money that's going to be flowing for a couple of conferences in particular phil bennett longtime college football coach jj joe on spavital he also made the comment they need to sign or seal up their speed which they did with reese and what they did with monterey and uh, his thoughts about that he's been very outspoken about it and we're not done we're going to take you up until six and this is 365 sports PettyClinicalOT.com. Dr. Kent Petty can help you become the high-performance man you want to be, used to be, and need to be. As you grow older, as a man, this is for men, as you get older, your testosterone level within your body can drop. And, and it you know, just happens, like a lot of things. And so if you are not as energetic, if you're more lethargic, you're not sleeping well, you're not even eating well, uh, and you just in your ED or you have sex drive issues – Dr. Kent Petty, PettyClinicLowT.com can help you out. Contact him on the website, PettyClinicLowT.com. Tell them I sent you, and they can then help you get set up to get your blood work, get the results, and if your testosterone levels are lower than they should be or really low, he can give you the option of being in a program so you can become the high-performance man you want to be, need to be, used to be. Dr. Kent Petty at PettyClinicLowT.com. In our logo and advertising, we say we are people that you can count on. What does that mean? It starts with providing a quality vehicle and quality service at a fair price. But it also means we do what we say we will do, and we treat people fairly with respect. It starts by hiring great people, good local folks who work hard with a caring attitude. Our employees are the real reason we are people that you can count on. Put us to the test and see for yourself that at Richard Car Motors, we are people you can count on. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby is a homegrown, locally owned pizza place that's out of this world. Everything from the dough, the sauce, the sausage topping is made fresh in-house. Not to mention the amazing pizza pillows, the chicken wings are to die for, try the sick of sauce, chili cheese fries or tots, plus great specials on food and drink every single day. Shorty's is also the perfect spot to watch the game with your friends. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby. Tell them Paul sent you by. Want to know why Stonewood Dental is so successful? Listen to what happy customers have to say. It's pleasant. It's different than any other dentist's office. I really feel like they care. And it's not that you're here for two hours waiting on someone to take care of you. It's quick and easy, and, you know, I bring my kids, and my kids love being here, too. They really love the treasure box. <laughs> 
staff is really nice and accommodating, real friendly. You feel more like home. It's not sterile looking. Everybody has their own personalized rooms with decorations and decor, and they'll even have a blanket for you when it's cold. <laughs> I've recommended people to actually come here, and they are patients now. I really love it here. It feels like family. Learn more, stonewood-dental.com. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Three Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers, too. Nachos and and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrip off I-35 in Carrollton. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. By the way, we will have Tim Brando. He was going to be scheduled for today. He had to move it to tomorrow. Tim Brando will join us as a part of what we do tomorrow, but... When a lot of you respond to our guest with Tim Brando, Phil Bennett, you love the segments, you love the passion, and also the open book that they are with their opinions. And Phil Bennett joins us now on 365 Sports. What do you want to start with him, Paul? You want to start with the college football playoff? I'm going to ask him this. Look, uh, I watched a team he was coaching on win a bowl game handily without any quarterbacks on it. And... Uh, my team uh, is left out of the playoff when they're going to be on their second-string quarterback, and that's the reason given. Uh, Coach, how do you feel about uh, one player being injured as the justification to keep an undefeated team out of the playoff? The thing that that bothers me about all of it, uh, did you guys happen to hear Danny Connell today? Uh, No. No. He made a profound statement, which is true. He said, let's, let's call this what it is. He said, this is not a playoff. He said, this is an invitational to go to the playoff. Hmm. And he says, you have to have an invitation to go to the playoff. And the rules have been changed almost weekly. You know, when you have an injury. Now, Paul, I don't think there's any question that Florida State is not the team uh, and I think you would agree with this oh, without yeah. Travis. Uh, and so if the, if the protocol is saying at the moment, who are the best four teams, if it has to be in that realm, 
not conference championship, not undefeated, but in the realm of who are the best four teams, I think they got it right. Now, I'm not sure that's the way it was written. Uh, and I think that there's a lot to what you just said. It would be like us. You're right. You know, we people don't realize that, but in 15, we lost the Sugar Bowl because we didn't have a quarterback. And, and it, it was it was hard. It, it was tough. And, and I, I feel for them. And I just I just don't think uh, I don't think the people realize the other thing they talked about, and it's true. And I want your opinion on this. Do you truly think that they were going to leave Alabama out of it, and the SEC would would get uh, no representation? Into, I mean, they can say what they want to. Conferences don't matter. That's not true. And so, let's say my question is: Let's say that Travis would have stayed healthy, they would have stayed on top. Who would have got screwed? Alabama or Texas? Well, see, then it wouldn't they, have been. <laughs> in, in, in that scenario, um, when taking away the excuse for Travis, right? So that one's out. So they can't right. really, you know, say that because they've got, you know, and Florida State's numbers would have backed up, you know, with the offense and everything they had. Then they do to Texas what they did to you in 2014. Right, right, right. And, and and think about this. People have brought this up. They've, and I'm not sure Cardell Jones was a third-string quarterback. Some people said he was. But, but they ended up, you know, playing and winning the national championship with a third-string quarterback. Yeah. That, it, it, yeah. It, it's not fair, but uh, as we all know, it, it's just there's not uh, – there's too many – too much room for error. And it's very unfortunate that a group of kids did an unbelievable job, had a great season, and, and a fan base that's rabid that just is not going to get to celebrate it. Yeah, they, I think uh, Alabama going and winning the title would be like the best bet for ESPN uh, at this point. Be like, see, we, we got the right team, and that's what happened with Ohio State when they let them in there. But, Phil, from your point of view – and knowing how college football set up these days, if you had your preference, the committee came to you or the powers that be and said, how would you construct the postseason? How would you construct the postseason? If you remember, the BCS computers what was one of that deal. I would do more of a combination of that, and I would make it a point. You know, uh, end of the season, best teams. And, and you know, Obviously, Craig, you would have to go head-to-head means something. I don't care when it was. And, and you could go down, and I think that, that you're going to have the same issues with 12 as you had with four at some point. There's, you know, 13, 14, 15 are going to feel they got left, at, mm-hmm. left out for some reason. I, I, I just don't, you know, my answer has always been what one double-A does. Let's truly have a playoff, you know. It might take a little bit longer, but but if you had a playoff, it, it, it truly would determine who the national championship is. And, and they've been doing it for years and years, and they're good at it. One of the things about the way that they do that, 
is that, yes, conference champions get in. There are some at large, but it, it, and there's, that will be the argument about who gets in or not, but at least you have multiple games that you yeah. have to play to get not just two games, and pretty soon we're going to see teams having to play, what, maybe three or four, whatever it is, but multiple games that you have to kind of fight your way through that, that, that system or that bracket. Well, think about high school in Texas. I think it's right. Fifteen or sixteen games. So, I mean, you have to win. You win. You you have to win six games to win a state championship after your season. Yeah, after your season. So, so that's the challenge. Uh, And and, you know, the the big knock of not doing this at the highest level. Some people say, you know, it's it's injuries. No, it's not. It's bowl ties. It's television. You know, what bowls are you going to get left out? Uh, That's the big deal. And and they would really have to work to get a plan together to say, all right, this this, this playoff would be this bowl, that bowl. The Bonner Bowl and ESPN uh, bowl package would be left out of it. So that's been the reason. Yeah, the lobbyists are not going to let that happen. You're right. No, they're not going to let it happen. And as I said, Let's just imagine what would have they have done Saturday night had had Florida State had their quarterback and beat the stuffing out of Louisville, Louisville with that defense and with their quarterback and Alabama beating uh, Georgia and Texas winning. What would they have done? Mm-hmm. Who would y'all say would have got left out? Can you? Who do you think? Go ahead, Paul and Craig, Craig. I think Alabama would have got left out because I think under that scenario, that's the one scenario where they absolutely had no reason to allow Alabama in because of the head-to-head, because of FSU being fully complete. I think they just so happened to get the perfect outcome this weekend to be able to make the decision that they made. <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, here in Aggieland, I mean, they are beside themselves, you know, you know, that, that, of course, you know, you know, they don't like Texas and it's just, I mean, it is a stick in the eye for them. Phil, I'm curious when you watch Phil, it, can you just tell Paul, you love him a lot. It would help uh, help him a lot. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, I do feel for you. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that I, even after 14, after we beat Kansas State, who we knew was a good team, and we had lost one game to, to uh, West Virginia, and regardless of what you say, we did beat TCU, and, and we beat them not only on the scoreboard, we beat them statistically everywhere you could beat them. And, and if you looked at that game statistically, it wasn't even close, uh, other than the score. And with that said, we get we get left out, and and you know Ohio State with a backup quarterback. Yeah. You know how far did they jump? Four slots? Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. Well, you were what five or six? Ohio State was behind you, and TCU was three, won by about fifty, and dropped behind you. Right. Yeah. I think TCU was ahead of us, though, weren't they? Yeah, they, or yeah, not? Yeah, they, they were. were. They were like three. I think you might have been five or whatever. They beat right. the hell out of somebody, and and then they not only dropped out of the four, they dropped behind you, and you didn't play that weekend, I don't think. Yeah, maybe, and, and, and uh, they had beat – I think they beat Iowa State bad. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. 
They they didn't play, and you guys did. But um, but yeah, That's right. it, it, That's it's. Right. Okay, when you watch a game like Florida State and Louisville, you know, I know everybody likes offensive football. From a defensive coordinator standpoint, some of that had to be uh, like like watching a rock concert to you, right? I, I, there was two games that I really, really enjoyed. I thought uh, Florida State's defense was outstanding, and I thought SMU's defense was outstanding. I mean, they were both – you know. That, that saying, defense wins championships, I mean, that's true. You know, I always laugh. I tell people, as, as juggernaut as we were offensively at Baylor, in 13, our TCU game back-to-back weekends, we won that championship by, by, by playing defense against TCU and Texas. I think we scored – I think we had scored – you can check this. We had three touchdowns, interceptions to beat TCU there. At halftime of the of the Texas game in that bad weather, I think we were ahead six to three, and we played lights out defense. And that's what you know. That's what both of those teams did. Coach, uh, I know there's still a month until the actual playoff gets underway, but I'm sitting here and I think I'm picking Texas to win the whole dadgum thing. Um, not so much asking you for your pick, but what did you think of the Longhorns on Saturday against Oklahoma State? in the Big 12 title game, and just what do you think of them as an, an all-around team heading into this 14 playoff? As we've talked all year, um, Craig, I, I've sort of made my feelings known. Uh, I think Texas, with when, once they got their quarterback back, I, I think through the Houston game and when they were starting the younger kids, <clears throat> I don't think they had their rhythm, and I thought their defense really showed up. I, I think what they've done defensively has been outstanding. Their D-line is really good. Their linebackers are good. Uh, and, and now that you've got their quarterback back, and, you know, they've lost their best running back. And, and their receivers are dangerous. I, I think they're a team that, that can really do some damage and, and potentially win this thing. Uh, you know, I, I will say this. They better get ready. That game, watching one of the defenses I didn't like watching last week was Oregon. Oregon wouldn't get out of man coverage, and Washington did a number on them with short motions to the boundaries, picks, rubs, all those different things. Uh, I think Texas, you know, last year struggled with Washington in, in the uh, Bowl game. Uh, San Antonio Bowl and Alamo Bowl, so that could be a closer game than, than people really realize. Uh, and I think this, I think people also, you know, talk about Alabama always beating us. You know, I remember Alabama losing to Ohio State uh, when Urban was there, losing to to, to uh, Clemson. So they're definitely beatable, but they are getting better and better. It's going to be interesting to see if Michigan can, can do the things that they've done all year <coughs> on both sides of the ball to a team like Alabama. Coach, uh, you're good. You know him well. Mike Blush, he was at UNT. He was at Tulsa, Houston. Coached at Temple High School with Mike Spradlin, among others. And he now is the offensive coordinator, I believe, at Cal, replacing Jake Spavital. Your thoughts about Blush, who was the offensive line coach there, and also today Jake Spavital was introduced at Baylor. You know, I think that the first thing I work with Mike, uh, and I've told everybody that, that I've worked with, I knew that, that he had a future. 
Uh, he has all the it factors, uh, smart, uh, doesn't overthink things, uh, great teacher, uh, is a grinder, but yet realizes, does a great job with the players. Uh, I, I think Wilcox really made a good call. I think that, that Jake and him went into a tough situation and really did a bang up job. They were, they were double trouble on deep, on offense. And they go in there and put a package together. I was fortunate enough to go watch a practice a couple of times in, uh, this summer during camp. And I could tell that between them that they were building something better. And they were really did a good job. And I think both of them have benefited. You know, Jake got to come back to Texas. And, of course, uh, Bleshy gets to be the coordinator there. And I, I think they'll both do well. What is what Spavitol, he was talking about today, that you don't have to be perfect in the offense that he's going to run, where we saw high school teams in Texas 20 years ago with guys that you didn't think were like probably big enough or fast enough becoming just giants with the spread or the wide open, like throwing the, uh, the fade down the sidelines. What does he mean by that? And is that going to be something that's easy to kind of get your personnel to fit it with what you have or don't have now? I think what he means, if you watched Oklahoma this year, think about this. Who was their best receiver? It was number 12. I mean, would you ever think that that, that Drake Stoops Mm. would be the the prime receiver at OU? I mean, honestly, that kid was a ball player, and because of spacing and what he does and the way they distribute the ball, I think that, that that's what he's talking about. Now, don't get me wrong. He's going to have a guy that can stretch the field vertically also. But, but I, I think that's what – I'm not speaking for Jake, but, but I think that's what he means by, by distributing the ball and, and being able, like they did at Cal, to have a, a good run game, uh, not just a, a stretch game. I mean, they're – they have three things they do. They're going to run inside zone, outside zone, and, and what we call gap play with pulls and counters. And and I think that that he will make it simple, but he will get the ball in the hands of the kids that can make the play. Coach, uh, how much experience or how much do you know uh, Willie Fritz and your thoughts on Houston going with him as their next head coach? I think Willie's a really good coach, and and you know I, I talk m- many times about our 2012 season at Baylor. We played Willie Fritz was the head coach at Sam Houston, and they had a kid named Flanders. They were really oh, good, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and and people and I've I've always owned up to it. It was the week before that uh, catastrophe in, in West Virginia. But we end up losing Mike Hicks. We lose all these different guys. <clears throat> I think three guys in the secondary. So I'm, I've moved some guys around. I put Chase, uh, uh, I can't remember his last name, at, at safety. Did a, I always tell Willie, I said, you led me to the worst game I've ever coached in and the lousiest job I ever did because we were so afraid uh, they were doing at the time, he was running triple option. And we played a bang-up game, but it was so physical, we lost those three guys. And the next week was our was our uh, 
73, whatever the score was, with, with Harrison in West Virginia. But I think he's awesome. I think he, he adjusts to the game. Uh, he doesn't do the option anymore. And he's, he is a great special team guy. And, and I think he evaluates talent well. Phil, I'm going to bring up uh, uh, one of the great games I know that didn't end the way you guys wanted, kind of like TCU 61-58 for Patterson. But the game with West Virginia, he was on that staff, I believe, with Dana. Um, and, and he was asked Spavitol about that. that. Yeah, Sta- Jake Spavitol was on that game, and he was talking about you know, he just like how – he, if you would have been a defensive coach, you just you just couldn't get over that for quite some time. The next year, you guys crushed them at Waco. Do you still yeah. think about seventy to sixty three very often? You, you know, first of all, you got to own it. What, what happened? I look at. I told the kids, and, and I was honest with them. Uh, when we in the secondary, when I saw how hot Gino was, and they had some players, mm. uh, I forget Stedman, somebody, and they Maybe had the Stephen little Bailey, yeah. And they were uh, Tavon Austin, some, yeah, yeah, Tavon Austin, and they were hot. But but I did a very poor job of not saying, "Hey, I quit pressuring because I didn't think we could cover," and it was a mistake. It was a it, it was a fatal mistake. And you own it. It was a, a deal that. And then once it happened, we couldn't. I couldn't. We couldn't get out of it. And, and as I tell people, you know. As many years I've done it, if you've done it very long and you haven't had a game like that, you're a liar because it's just part of the process. I didn't like it, but the thing I did like, you know, we had another game. We, we, went, uh, we went four games there. I think Texas beat us, put 50 on us. We weren't very good. And we were trying to find out by the end of the year, we had regrouped, and I told the staff this, I said, it's not on them. We've got to get them back right. And we had a – I think you can check this. I think we won five games in a row to go and then won the bowl game against UCLA. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. After that. And, and I tell people, I felt me personally that I grew more as a coach that year than any time in my career. Because you have a tendency to say, oh, man, it's his fault, this guy's fault, this guy's fault. Hey, I was in charge. It was my fault. And, and you had to, I owned it. We reevaluated what we could do, how we could do it. We got those kids back. And I'm going to tell you what happened. The kids that played when the other kids were hurt gave us depth. They got better. We, we were able to do a couple more packages. And, and, and at the end of the year, I think I told you in San Diego, We'll win the Big 12 next year. Did I not? You did. You did, and you beat the hell out of UCLA and also had the goal line stand against K-State and more. Phil, if you don't mind, I know that it's kind of an off week. Army-Navy coming up. Uh, Can you kind of, as dependent on the holidays, stay with us through the uh, championship week? Absolutely. Can't wait. People love to have your segment and listen to it. Thank you very much. Phil Bennett with us. We're going to have J.J. Joe join us almost immediately his thoughts because of the transfer portal and also the hiring of Jake Spavital. That game, 70-63, to 63, was like like one big deep fade pattern after another. Yeah, Tavon, oh, go ahead. I wasn't around for that, but I still hear about it. And uh, 
Yeah, they had uh, not only some really good players, but uh, Bill Biedenbaugh was the offensive line coach for West Virginia. Along, yep. you know, Dana was on that staff, obviously, and then Spavital. So, yeah, they had a pretty good thing going. Geno's obviously still kicking it around the league, and that'll lead me to my next question to ask Phil if we have more time, is I'm going to finally ask him of what was it like when Patrick Mahomes ripped them a new one and what was all their final regular season 16, game yeah. in, at Baylor. But what just that was a crazy game, and we didn't know what Patrick Mahomes was about to turn into at that point in time. And we thought, like, this defense sucks. But now uh, I, I want to ask him what he thinks all these years he, later. You about know what's that. funny is a friend of mine is a huge Chiefs fan, and when Mahomes got drafted, he's like, I'm not happy about it. I'm like, I don't know, man. I just saw him. No. <laughs> and, and they had the perfect setup with Alex Smith there. And he was able to kind of just marinate for a little bit and look what he's been doing. Although they got beat last night in Green Bay in the rating four. J.J. Joe, former Baylor quarterback, Baylor radio color analyst with us on 365 Sports. Uh, J.J., Jake Spavital, do you like the hire? Hey, guys. I mean, long time no talk to, but I, I like it. I, I, I like the idea of bringing um, uh, someone experienced that uh, I think has – the ability to use the skill that this state produces. I mean, I, you know, I, I was on my stomp the whole year that we needed to figure out a way to get a, the ball in space to our speed, and we really struggled with that. Some of that was the line, but I like the hire. And, um, of course, Smoke, the proof is always in the pudding, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got to get out there and, and, you know, try to make sure he can show up our line and make sure that that continues to, to improve. And then at the same time, you know, figure out how to get these guys who can really run, you know, the you know, the Monterey Baldwins, the, the Richard Reese's, the Jordan Neighbors, get those guys the ball in space and let's see what happens. JJ, you know, um you always have to morph your scheme to your talent. You know, sometimes you can be good enough to where you can just be like, This guy fits, this guy fits, let's go get let's go get him. But for Baylor, you know, the the wide zone was the right thing at the right time, and then it veered off somewhere towards the end of last year where they, they didn't have the guys to run it anymore and then just kind of continued into it. Um, how, I mean, how difficult is it to keep ahead of where you think you are and what guys you have on the roster when sometimes you might have now re- recruited or, or brought guys on that just don't fit what you wanted to do? You know, that's, I mean, I always say that. I, I, Look, I mean, you can get – if you have the right players, you can get a scheme to work if it's if it's a competent coach. And most of the coaches I give them credit are competent, right? Um, I think I heard, you know, on ESPN the guy said, hey, look, this is about players over plays. And to me, the offensive coordinators I played for and even the ones I've seen over time, they look at the skill and the talent they have, what kind of line they have, a lot of times that impacts it. And the best offensive coordinators will figure out how to scheme an offense around that. Uh, and that's, that, that was the thing that frustrated me a little bit about this year. As good of an OC and great coach, Coach Grimes, I really got frustrated saying, like, hey, man, I know what they're telling about analytics and the ability to run through contact and the best running backs for this team. I get all that. Trust me. I get it. Nothing against it. But my eyes told me that two of your fastest players with the ball in their hands that have had success here on campus was Richard Reese and Monterey Baldwin. And they've shown it in a game. For most coaches, you have to prove to them that you can't do it in a game before they take the ball out of your hands. And my frustration is it really felt like we took the ball out of their hands based on numbers. And so 
I, I just really believe that those coaches who have the most success, I think shoot, we saw with Bryles, and I know people get hate to hear this, but I saw Bryles lose three quarterbacks and basically win running the single wing. He saw the players he had. He said, this is the scheme that works. Let's go win with it. And he'd be the top 15, 10, 12 team in a bowl game doing that. So those are the kind of coaches you have to have that are ready to adapt to the players they have, and then they go execute. Right now, J.J., we've seen, I think it's like 50-ish guys uh, let it be known that they're going to be coming back next year off this current Baylor roster. Three guys that have basically said that they're gone. George Maia, the offensive lineman, Drake Dabney as well, and then Blake Shapin is is in the portal. I guess we didn't really get to know much about Maia, but your thoughts on Shapin and that situation there and also on Drake Dabney uh, going to uh, go play and finish up his college career elsewhere. You know, Dabney, I, I hate to see Dabney go. I, th- I, I really thought that, uh, that um, you know, you know, that loss is a big one. Now we have Kelsey Johnson and you got Jake, uh, Jake Short, and you got, you got other guys that are really good. So I think Baylor can weather the storm, especially with the new model they're going to. But I hate to lose Dabney. I love his, his ranginess, his ability to run after the ball, run after the catch. Um, uh, Blake is a big one. I mean, I, you know, if you can, if you can get Blake to stay, I, I think that's, you got to go all, all hands on deck on that. And I know people say, well, I think it's good. I give him a chance. And I think, I think, you know, really, if, if I think Blake likes the scheme. Now, the question I think Blake probably wants to know, it's like free agency now, man. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what other opportunities out there? Is there a place where I feel like they're a quarterback away from winning a championship as a conference and going to the playoff or something? I think he's looking at that. Uh, but I really hope, I hope Coach Babatall and Coach Aranda and, and the changes they make or whatever they do, they figure out how to keep Blake. So I was glad to see Monterey come back. I was glad to see Richard Reese come back. I was glad to see Jordan Neighbors come back. I was glad to see all the guys I've seen come back. And uh, that means that, like, you know, hey, look, at least we're working from a place where we don't have to, you know, start from scratch. And that that's big. Yeah, and, and it, it seems like that NIL with GXG, J. Joe, JJ, well, you know, they, they said we're, we're on our way. <laughs> but you see players now. I'm back. I'm turning. I'm coming back. Turning it back. Whatever. Right. Staying home, and 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 boy, I tell you what. If there was ever, it would have been nice last year to even be more public, but it they got public right. just in time. I think. Hey, hey, smoke. You're right, man. Hey, look. Even I. I mean, I think I wrote an article about a few weeks ago that said this is the new landscape. And look, man. I, I'm you know I'm not a rich guy myself. I mean, I'm a working guy, and. Um, and and I, I went to GXG and just said I'm not you know I'm gonna set up I'm just gonna send fifty bucks right and then I'm gonna set up where I'm a recurring because I said look I, I like Baylor and I like Baylor when they're good and I know fifty bucks may not do a big deal but my understanding is that the way this works is you got to have the big money guys smoke give money of course those big money guys give money for everything it's got to be the masses of all of us Baylor fans saying hey I can carve out of my budget something for some people it may be a grand it may be fifty bucks. To try to give the program so we can figure out how to get this navigate this new era. That's exactly what we learned last week with Jeremy Fudge or a week or so ago. That those who do fifty dollars a month or ten dollars a month or a hundred dollars a year, that's for a lot of the money that has not been collected. Even though people may think it's the opposite. JJ Joe with us, uh, Baylor Radio color analyst on three sixty five Sports. JJ Sawyer Robertson uh, is the quarterback of uh, you know of the now, uh, depending on what they do in the portal and Blake Shapin, he came out of a leech system. Do you think that that's a benefit of him uh, with Jake Spavital? I think so. I mean, you know, it's, 
you know, Asaria, the only, the only thing for me, and I think Asaria, I think, you know, we saw when he had his feet available to him, he looked much, much better, I think, in that last game we saw him play than he did when he was hurt. Uh, I think he'll really, uh, uh, really do well in this system. Uh, but I, I think like anything, like when you're coming off a year like we've come off, uh, it's not that I have anything against Sawyer by wanting Blake Pack. It's like, man, I, it's like anything when you're trying to figure out how to bounce, maybe you get some transfers in. I want to have that experienced quarterback as a trigger man with two years under his belt. Whereas, you know, Sawyer, this would really be his sixth start or something like that, a fourth start if he started the season as a starter. But I really think from where he came from in high school, this probably fits him well. And, of course, having a guy who's kind of a dual threat, because that's what he is, that also helps you a little bit, uh, kind of maybe get some of that chunk yardage that I know it's attractive uh, for everybody. Do you feel, J.J., now with what you've seen at least, and there's a long way to go, more comfortable with where Baylor is, even though there's a hell of a lot of work to be done? Yeah, I would say the direction, and, and they needed to. I mean, I, I think Mac knew this. Mac Rhodes knew it. Coach Aranda knew it. Not only did they need to make changes, they had to go sell it. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, when you when you win the Big Twelve championship two years ago, and you go to another one the two years prior, and you won two championships the year before that when Browsing were here, you can't be messing around, man. This is big time. You got to get your butt out there, and you got to get out there, and you got to sell what you're doing, and people have to believe in it. I like the direction they're going. Uh, I really like the ability to bring Sabatol in to hopefully leverage some of this talent. Uh, but the, the big thing to me, the work, the big work is coming. And I think the big work, Smoke, you asked me, is this is, this is, this is, this is where we are. And this used to happen when I was in, 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 in school. They're going to have to sit down with players, and some players won't be back. And they got to be willing and big boy enough to say to them, hey, look, we're going to help you go somewhere, but we think we have to move in a different direction. And, that, and nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to talk to that, mm-hmm. talk about that. But that used to happen when I was in school. It has to happen now because Baylor is trying to play big boy football and be a big boy athletic. And if that's the case, then you got to have those conversations. Then you got to go out and get some people who hopefully help you get better. Uh, you know, Dion said it a different way. He's bringing his own luggage and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying we're like that. That's not what Baylor is. But where we are is that, like, you know, we want Baylor to be good. And for Baylor to be good, you know, you have to make tough decisions, have tough conversations. And that's what Coran- Coach Aranda and Coach Mac, I'm not sorry, Mac Rhodes are. J.J., thank you very much. We are not done. Uh, we'll see how they fill the roster up over the next few weeks and be in touch. J.J. Joe with us, thanks to Alliance Bank the last several weeks throughout the season and also now with a new offensive coordinator in place. Speaking of successful, SMU. They won the American Conference. They're headed to the ACC. Rhett Lashley, SMU football coach, is next on 365 Sports. Right now, Waco Custom Marketplace, 425. Lake Air Drive in Waco with the wild game processing essentials. If that's what you do, if you hunt and you then want to process what you kill, uh, you have pork sausage seasoning, smoked sausage seasoning, summer and smoked Polish sausage seasoning. Uh, jerky seasoning, Cajun jerky seasonings, 10-ounce cure at $6.25 to $25 a bag or $0.25 a bag, depending on what you get. Also, ground beef tailo, also pork trim, 50-50, pork picnic, Hank's, mahogany summer sausage casings, snack casings, dried jalapenos, a pound of that a bag, and also a pound of wild game bag, all of what you need 
Wild Game Processing Essentials, Waco Custom Marketplace on Lake Air Drive in Waco. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or financial. No one wants a one-size-fits-all strategy. Ben Erlinson, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why he takes the time to understand your needs, knowing you. That's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Ben Erlinson, 100 North 6th Street in Waco, 254-759-8533. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men... An exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovy. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. We're back with SMU football coach Rhett Lashley on 365 Sports with Craig and Paul, and I'm David Smoke. They won the American Conference, and what a year it's been for the Mustangs and really in a lot of different ways. Rhett, thank you for your time. Congratulations. Uh, you had your banquet last night. How, how much fun and also like being able to soak and embrace everything you've accomplished did you get that done last night? Oh, man, we're all still pretty tired. I mean, it's the crazy thing. It was just 48 hours ago, I guess, that we won it. But, uh, man, we had a great time last night celebrating this team, celebrating our seniors, and, and just celebrating a, a championship that our guys, you know, really went out and just uh, earned. And I just can't say enough about this team. It's been so fun to coach them. Uh, they've been dominant most weeks, and, and they've just gotten better and better each week. And, and it was just really cool on Saturday in New Orleans to win and, and celebrate that with our fan base. You guys just went out and beat a Tulane team that is, is very well coached, that is always, I mean, that you know, one of the most fundamentally sound teams in the country and had to do it with a backup quarterback. What is it like when you, because you have to send that message to your team to not stress them out about, look, you know, everybody's got to got to step up this week and, and play well, and then they respond to it and don't get crushed by the weight of the moment. It's really fun because it just confirms, you know, this late in the year, 
kind of know who your team is, wh- whatever direction that goes. And I, I had so much confidence in our team and who we were, even after Preston went down. And, and we also had a lot of confidence in knowing who Kevin was. But, you know, I didn't have to come in and go, hey, defense, you know, y'all got to play extra well. And, hey, you guys got to pick him up. And really all I told the team last Monday is we kind of turned the page and started getting ready for Tulane. And I just said, you know, we're going to win this game because we have the better team. And we're going to win this game because of our team. And no one has to do anything different. Our defense has been great all year. They don't, you guys don't have to do anything different. Offense, you don't have to do anything different. Hey, Kevin, you don't have to win this game. You just got to go be Kevin. And our team will take care of the rest. And, and I had a lot of confidence in that. And so to go out and do it, you know, again, your point, Tulane, incredibly good team. Willie's always had a great, really well coached team, great defense, you know, player of the year at quarterback. But, you know, if I'm being honest, the game wasn't near as close as the score was. We just, we played really, really well. Coach, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but there is, you know, the conversation about the decisions made this weekend and a lot of the attention obviously being put on the the, the, the CFP4. But the second most, I guess, controversial uh, argument is about the New Year's Six spot that ended up going to Liberty as opposed to you guys. A lot of people feel like that should have been the SMU Mustangs going to a New Year's Six bowl game. Did that add anything bittersweet to what was a fantastic weekend? And how did you sort of handle whatever level of disappointment that might have been? You know, I would say any other time, yeah, it would have been really bittersweet and disappointing. And, I mean, look, guys were probably disappointed for a minute. I was disappointed for a minute. I uh, wasn't shocked. Um, you know, just over the way the last few weeks have gone on those committee uh, roundups on Tuesday night, it didn't shock me. You know, look, Liberty's a good football team, but – you know, I think because of what we had just accomplished the night before, there really wasn't going to be anything to steal our joy. And just we were going to celebrate this team and what we did. I mean, look, it, there's things you can't control, you know, and there's human error in life. I think just about everybody outside of people in Lynchburg, Virginia, have been pretty outspoken that they think it was a mistake. And I don't even think it was close. And that's not to disrespect them. It's just the numbers, the data, the evidence, everything tells you. And the way they handled the top five tells you. It was not really that complicated a decision. The AP poll got it right. You know, the coaches poll got it right. Um, you know, but here's the deal. There's 133 teams in the country, and there's only one team at the end of the year that doesn't have something that didn't go exactly how they wanted to. And we're 11-2. and two. We've had a fantastic year. We, we won, went 9-0 and in our league. And, you know, nobody can take the championship away from this team. And that was our number one goal. That was our goal to start the season. So, I mean, I, it doesn't – everybody thinks I'm biased because I am, and it's not going to matter what I say. I mean, I know we're the only one that was in that discussion who went on the road and played two top 25 teams, and we beat one of them. And we played the other one, the Oklahoma Sooners, in a really good football game. And the other team didn't even play one. You know, I mean, all the data, it is what it is. You know, what we have the opportunity to do now is go win our 12th game, which would be tied for the most in school history. It would be only the second time we've ever won 12 games at SMU. Uh, we can win a bowl game, which is a big deal. And we get to play an ACC opponent, which as soon as that game ends is now a, a conference opponent, you know, and it could give us great momentum uh, launching into that league next year. So our guys, you know, they were bummed for about three minutes and we started our team meeting and we said we're going to celebrate this team and we haven't looked back. You know, you brought up the ACC. That was my next question about the momentum. How much, I mean, since the, the, the decision, you're going to join them. Uh, and and now you have what you have as far as evidence. Can you try to describe the momentum that is even higher than the day you were accepted into the ACC? You know, you really just couldn't have drawn it up much better. Um, you know, from 
our football facility that's being built that we'll move into this summer in July that's state-of-the-art, just as good as you're going to find literally in the country, um, to getting accepted into the ACC, you know, the day before the first game this year, uh, to then winning a conference championship, first time outright since 1982, first time of, of any kind since 84, and just so many things that we've done this year that it's just all coming together at the same time, you know, the recruiting momentum and being in Dallas and just the way that everything's going. We just couldn't, couldn't have asked for it to be any better all at the same time. I saw your interview after the game uh, the night to coach and you, I mean, when you said what people have been waiting for for 40 years, I, I think that there's, there's only like select groups of sports fans that can, that can say like, you know, it's like the Rangers not winning the world series, the whole, you know, with yeah. their existence until this year, or, you know, how long it took the Cubs or whatever it is like that had to be amazing to be on the receiving end of of breaking that for a fan base that has just been waiting for a very long time. Yeah, it was so gratifying. One, for our kids, the team, just because we know what they put in to be a team. And two, you know, the expectations that we put on ourselves, but really we're on this team. For your, po- your point, for not doing something in 40 years, the expectations for us to do it this year were really, really high. And so it always feels good to deliver. But, but most importantly, like you said, I mean, in SMU, we have a history. We have a history of championships. You know, we had 11 Southwest Conference championships and three, some version of shared or whatever national titles and Doak Walker and all the things. Like, there's a history. There. It's not like we've never done it. But 40 years, you know, there was so many people crying, just tears of joy, um, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of SMU fans and that have, have lived the majority of that 40 years, too, you know. And so they, they were there when Eric was playing and we won it in 82. They were there when the death penalty happened, and they've been there for that whole long road back. So just to, to be able to deliver that and, and to come through uh, for our fan base and for our program and for our president, Dr. Gerald Turner, was just really cool. Coach, I know that Paul asked you about uh, Kevin Jennings and, and the job that he did stepping in, but I was curious, how's Preston Stone doing with uh, the injury and just uh, – you know, obviously not a way that he wanted to end what has been a fantastic season for that young man. Uh, how's he handled all the, uh, I guess, the the negative news and, and, and the pain and all that comes with that? You know, he's handled it like a champ, like you would think. I mean, he was obviously super disappointed. You know, we lost him. He was probably a drive or two from coming out of the game against Navy because it was almost totally over and just, you know, broke his lower his upper ankle, lower leg area and um, super disappointed. Um you know, but to your point, he had a great season, and he did what we thought. He got better and better each week. His last two halves of football were the best. The second half at Memphis, the first half against Navy, he was just as good as anybody in our state, in our league, and, and one of the best in the country, the way he was playing. Um, he had surgery that Tuesday, uh, Monday maybe, you know, right after. Successful. Everything's good. He'll make 100% recovery. Um, probably back sometime middle of spring ball to do some throwing and be full go by the summer and um, he handled it great. You know, he was there. He had to go to that game. He was there uh, with, you know, supporting his teammates and Kevin and celebrating with him after. And so, you know, that's the cool part, though. You know, it it just validated who we are as a team. You know, Preston got us there. Kevin helped us get us over the finish line. And like I said, after the game, you know, winning a, a conference title with your backup quarterback, if that doesn't scream team, I don't really know what else does. In the future, uh, we're now moving from four teams, and what we saw is somewhat, in a way, chaos, controversy, whatever the words are this past, well, yesterday. What are your thoughts, Red, about it moving to 12? 
Does that give everybody more of a chance? Are we going to then complain about those who are 10, 11, 12, and not uh, 13, 14, and 15? But just yeah. getting more into a true playoff rather than what appears to be, as some have said, an invitation. Yes, I love it. It's, it's been the best thing that's been coming. I'm glad it's happening. Uh, not just for teams like us, but for everybody. Uh, to your point, look, they're always going to gripe about next year it's going to be, well, Oklahoma would have been left out this year mm-hmm. as the number 12 because, you know, or who's 11, who's 10, who's 13, 14. That's, that's fine, and I think it should even go to 16 one day. It wouldn't even add a week to the whole deal. But I think the more the better. Football's different than basketball, so going more than 16 is probably a lot. But you, you look at the NCAA tournament now, they gripe about the teams on the bubble. They don't gripe yep. about the one, two, three, and 4 teams. And so – yeah, there's always going to be that shoot. Half of that's what helps you guys and makes the, the you know generates the excitement about our sport. But uh, I think it's going to be great. I think just like this year, they had a t- there was probably seven to eight teams deserving, and talk about a hard decision to make. Um, it won't be as hard in the future, and I think it's going to be really exciting. You know, having on-campus games and then having those neutral sites after that. I think I think it's going to be great. Dealing with what uh, you dealt with with Preston Stone, does that give you even a little bit more of a personal, like, oh, man, when it came to Florida State and Jordan Travis and how all that played into things? Because as you said just a few moments ago, like it showed you as a team who you were, not just that it revolved around one guy. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. I mean, now that might have been the only thing that the committee did that was consistent. The two teams that had the quarterback at hurt, the two teams that got the short end of the stick. You know, <laughs> I think the difference was we went out and looked pretty good with, with Kevin. And, you know, arguably maybe had our best win of the season with him. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's tough, and I get it. You know, injuries are part of the game, and, you know, there's that whole debate on most deserving, best, all that stuff. But, yeah, it's pretty – like I said, it's just really cool uh, to see how we were able to get it done, and, and we're just going to continue to celebrate that. What is more of a handful, getting ready for Tulane last week or getting ready for a bowl game or transfer portal, NIL, et cetera, or handling two different sets of twins? Yes. <laughs> D, all of the above. Uh, you know, um, now I would say the transfer portal and recruiting and NIL and bowl game and all that, but because uh, the boys are 13 and the girls are 7, and uh, it's chaos, but it's a little bit more uh, chaos where they can all be self-sufficient. But when they were, when the girls were born and the boys were 5, oh. that one definitely would have been number 1. Oh, I can imagine. Now, I, I have a friend who has your exact same situation wow. of two sets of twins, and it's different because they they work together in a way that normal siblings don't. Well, they're evil. <laughs> it's like it's like for nine months in their mom's womb, they started figuring out how they're going to plot together to make mom and dad's life miserable. <laughs> you know, con them and trick them into everything. And the boys are, are one way, but you know, you know how we are as guys. We're not real. We're not as smart as we think we are, but those girls, mm. they are, they know what they're doing now. I mean, they are seven and they are world class and they get a yes out of me every single time. They're organized and they're scary. Yeah. yeah. They, they, yeah. they are very, <laughs> I'm not going to say manipulative, but it, we can, but use, you're going to say it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Rick, congratulations. Seven and six last year. Uh, really nice ending. Uh, and, and of course, even better this year, the ACC and more. Congratulations. Have you ever been to Fenway Park? You know, this is cool. Yes, I have. I've seen a few baseball games there, believe it or not. But I actually coached in the first ever football game at Fenway in 2017 when I was at UConn. We played Boston College. Mm. So I've actually coached a game there. They haven't had very many. So uh, it was wild. 
Thank you very much for your time. Uh, Rhett Lashley, SMU football coach. They're headed to the uh, uh, Wasabi Fenway Bowl against Boston College. That game will be on December 28th. That's an early game at 10 o'clock Central Time to kick off at Fenway Park. It's not often you get to play football in a cathedral. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yankee Stadium's hosted a game or two, and now Fenway Park, of course, mm-hmm. at Wrigley Field, I think, even got involved once. Is What a nice run for SMU. And they overcame the loss of Preston Stone, and they were really good and still are good as they've ended the season with the American Football American Conference Championship. Yeah, I mean, congratulations to the Mustangs, and it's great timing. I didn't ask my questions. I kind of, I, I kind of butchered the question about the quarterback. I was trying to ask if he had more sympathy for yeah. Florida State, given their yeah. predicament at quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know if it came across but that way. It is a good point that the, that they they did like the quarterback thing kept them both, you know. But again, the just keep winning thing. It, it I mean, it's just a, it's just that's a lie. It's, it's a lie. A, I mean, the whole the whole mask got ripped off over the weekend. It did on the the whole sham of of the regular season's importance and and head to head and various other things like that. We we deemed of certain levels of uh, of importance and and how they matter. And really, we just got told by the committee that we're going to pick who we want. And yeah, there's there's loose things to follow. Like just not some Joe Blow can walk in and be in the four team playoff. You have to only have the one loss or whatever. But um, they're ultimately just going to do what they want to do. That's that's the message. And why we allow or why we, um, I guess, accept, and, and I, I know there's not really anything we can do to change it other than just not watch, but to have all of that happen you know, with enough people to matter is, is not likely. But why we just accept that this is the best way to crown a champion is to have a bunch of people in a room telling us, based on whatever criteria they so choose at any given moment, it's never the same. To everybody's point today, it's never the same. It's what it needs to be that given Saturday or Sunday that they're deciding, which can be different the following Saturday or Sunday when they're deciding. They just make it up as they go along. Yeah. And we just take that. That's how the champions decided. I think that is so ridiculous. And college football is always going to be unique because before that it was polls. So it was still people deciding. And so that's why for all of the warts that it still still may have, yes, give me a 12-team playoff. Absolutely deliver it to me right now over the alternatives that we have where it's just people picking who they want to see based on whatever arbitrary reason they have on any given you know Sunday when they have to, to make the decision known. I just think it's such a stupid way to crown a winner. And you know what? Alabama might go win the whole dadgum thing, and then people will say, see, they got it right. No, I don't think that they meant that, meant that they necessarily got it right. Because Florida State still deserved a chance. So I know we're going to run in circles about that whole conversation, but I'm just glad that it's changing. And I don't think it can come soon enough because I think the four team is just it, – it, uh, it had its proper ending, and it can go off and die and shrivel up well, elsewhere. It, it, like every flaw that it ever – I mean, was, was played – like Florida State got like the confluence of every excuse yeah, that was – Time like, everything. Like landed yeah. on them uh, too. But I um, – I just like going back in the history of it. I remember when they said four, and then you think like immediately, okay, well at least we got something. And then you think like, well, aren't there five conferences? Like, there's not going to be every year where this is going to be a problem, but there's going to be multiple years where you're going to have somebody from one of those conferences that's apparently on equal footing. You know that they're lucky that as they're, hell that it didn't happen. Five or eight, nine years ago, although it did happen but, like, ten it's, years ago. It's happened. Way. It's happened enough to where yep. there. It's not with four teams. You're not giving yourself room for a lot of possibility. And I wish one thing. 
when Reese Davis asked Boo Corrigan why Alabama over Florida State, he would have just said, because Supreme Leader Sankey told me to. All right. And that's that's all that it is. How much should Gene Smith, um, Jim Phillips, and George Klyovkov take for the alliance? No, it wasn't Gene Smith. It was, uh, who, who's the guy that moved on? Warren. Yeah, David For the Warren. alliance that Kevin delayed... Warren, uh, going from four to a better number earlier than we're going to get it next year. I mean, yeah, the they ACC should. The ACC in itself was part of that yeah. dumb alliance. It came back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, they should. And look, Florida State bears a little bit of blame in this, too, in that if the ACC is seen as weak, right? If yeah. it's seen as weaker, what did Florida State spend August doing? Talking telling, about how they, telling about to how they needed to be yeah. in a better conference. So, yeah, um, I understand that that's probably – now, that's not the major reason for it, but – the way things work, when things are out in the in the ether, so to speak, you know, and Greg Sankey knows this better than anybody. The more that you hammer home, because he, he approached it like a political campaign. Uh, we don't do elections how we probably should when you should, like, if you see a debate, you should see somebody's legislative batting average up there. Like, oh, this guy's hitting 390 in the, and getting bills passed. This guy's 210. Well, I'm voting for the 390, not the 210 guy, you know, like uh, on the promises. Well, we don't have that. So what Greg Sankey will go, like when you vote in an election, you ask a lot of people like, hey, why are you voting for Canada X? Well, because they care about the American people. And you're like, I know you've seen his commercials. Yeah. Like, but why specifically? What well, the you know why Greg Sankey but, but the, was given that speed, that but, ability. But what, yeah, so that's what he was doing yeah. was because he can, because the SEC says the SEC, it just means more, it just means more, it just means more. And then those guys get in the room and go, well, the SEC means more. Yeah, dude, that, this whole, I mean, like the propaganda has been at work for 20 years. And like I've said with the SEC, if, it, it'd be all moot point if they hadn't gone and won all the titles they did. But like, man, it's so geared towards them. It's just stupid. Like, it's kind of just dumb, like how how much the knee is bent for them at this point. Like, I get it, man. They're the best conference. Like, nobody's arguing that point, although I don't think they were the best conference this year. Nope. In fact, I don't the think ACC they were the best conference this year. But it's yeah. like it doesn't matter because we're just told, no, they're the best. Yep. Well, what if they're not? Well, no, they are. It was like – And it's just, it just gets drowned out in the, the brain-dead fans who just repeat whatever Feinbaum told them to say and – the talking heads across ESPN cannot be trusted whatsoever, nor can really, you know, many, many people involved now as, as, you know, as deep as the networks are into this whole thing. But, like, it's just like they're, they're great. They don't need any help. But, like, then when you go and you give them every benefit of the doubt and, and help them in a situation where, I don't know, I just, I just feel hey. like why is it so geared towards them? Because I guess that's where the money Be- comes from. But, damn, man, because at the expense won- of what? Yeah, and they want to – Bunch of national champions. Right. I, I, mean, I get uh, that, but that doesn't get you carte blanche for just no, the rest of history it, to always example. claim you're the best. Here's and, an example. Yeah. The, just, S- the NFC East this year and the last numerous years, for like the last 20 years or so, has been one or two teams are pretty good, and Washington and the Giants or whoever, there's always been two teams. They're trash. For the most part, the Cowboys and the Eagles will not lose another division game. Maybe they, it's been that way for – used to be if you won the NFC East, you won the Super Bowl. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that's still the case now because it damn sure is not. Yeah. So it's the, 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 the evidence can change. And if you give it enough chances to be a part of a one-game championship or a two-game championship, you're gonna, the odds are better that you're going to probably end up winning it. Somebody else needs to go out and beat them. Now you need Michigan to beat – and listen – 
I don't want to over. I do not want to forget about it. Nick Saban may have just had his best coaching job ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all saw ever. that on Saturday night, and I I can't be the only one that thought. Wow, remember when all those people were talking about in the first month of the season how he was getting ready to retire? And I made fun of it at the time. I was like, oh, let's let's do this again. We do this every year. Anytime there's a stumbling block, oh, Saban must be getting ready to go out. Everybody circles the wagons. It's the end. The end is coming. They Alabama's out. done. Dynasty over. And here they are. And guess what? They're probably like the second, third favorite to win the, the national title and very well could. And, and that would only reinforce the whole SEC stereotype. But I just... Like I'm, I'll declare them the best, even though, again, this year they're not top to bottom. They're not. Um, the Pac-12 was. But um, they might have the best team. They might have the best couple teams. They might have the best, like, three teams. But this whole thing where it's like their seventh-place team is better than everybody's number two or conference titles and just the way it's portrayed, it's just – it's just stupid. It's just it's it's nauseating. No, it's, it's just kind of dumb at this point. And if you try to overshadow that, or you try to shout out loud enough, you just get well, like you I, just get I drowned got, out by Teddy I, from Tuscaloosa I, and you know I, a million I, other people. As you know, guys, I'm not that. Uh, it's not Alabama's fault. No, no. Yeah. I, I, I I'm not that active on Twitter anymore, or X or whatever. I'm not calling it X. It's Twitter. Uh, but I last year after the TCU game said, look, this is not. Everybody's going to say this is about the the SEC versus the Big Twelve. No, this is about Georgia versus TCU. Um, and, you know, Alabama, like, they're in this discussion. But, you know, where you were getting, you know, lost in the shovel here is that, you know, Kentucky is not better than Iowa State. Kentucky and Iowa State are the same, right, for the most part. So, does not – like, everybody's not better because of oh, yeah, the I know year in year out history. The so top of their conference has been really good. And, and by they, the way, if Texas would have done this maybe once or twice more in the last 10 years – Maybe the Big Twelve yeah. never does blow up, exactly. Or Oklahoma, but there are like there's just there's all and people came at me like, oh, it's just better. It means more. Yes, I know that you were told it means more, <laughs> your and you're telling wash. me it means yes. more. But I'm just saying that the way that college football is going, it doesn't anymore, and you've got to stop doing that because it does not matter that a bunch of SEC teams have won the national championship in the past. It only matters what happens in 2023. Georgia and deserves it, to get in the playoff because they've won two years prior to this. They're yeah. undefeated. They just yeah. wait a second. Now all the past two seasons matter in this year's best four teams. Let's start to see that argument. Yeah. It's it's yeah. whatever's convenient and it is. It, it it's, is. It's just it's it's not a. It's not even a, like you're not a good or you're overrated thing. It's just it's just kind of silly the whole talking it's point. Accepted. At this. It's accepted. It's yeah, accepted by just, most. Yeah, and it's just like you disagree with it. Oh, well, you don't get it because you root. No, I watch the same games you do. But it's just it's so overkill at this point. And social media, I think, like anything else, only makes it worse because then you come across the folks who really have no brain cells to be able to even think outside of the the fact that the SEC might not be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it's just, it's it's um, annoying as much as anything else, I think. I think so. So, you know what? Michigan, Washington, Texas, you're on the clock. But Alabama, I tell you what, what Nick Saban's done since that game against Texas is remarkable. And it wasn't easy. They had to beat Auburn on a fourth and goal from the 32, for God's sakes, who had just lost to New Mexico State. But they did. They won that game. And then they, of course, Took that down 7 nothing to Georgia, then turned the screws and got that done. When we come back, we'll hear from uh, Cedric Golden, covers UT for the Austin American Statesman and Paul's Top 5 around the corner. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, the official place of drowning Paul Soros. Uh, I, uh, I had some whiskey uh, the other night um, and celebration uh, that I got from Riverbend Liquor and Wine, and then uh, that whiskey will now be used uh, because I'm sad. Uh, no, it's not a good reason to do that. But no, it's uh, 
Uh, Riverbend Liquor and Wine is a great, great place. And when it comes to whiskey, of which I am a huge fan, uh, anybody who knows me knows that. I'm a, I'm a connoisseur of sorts of, of fine craft bourbons. And if you want those local craft bourbons, the one that are made right here in the Lone Star State, the best selection is at Riverbend Liquor and Wine. Whether it is Balconies, Garrison Brothers, Devil's River, they've got them all at Riverbend Liquor and Wine. Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street behind the bank and their new location on Franklin Avenue. Don't miss the wrap-up-the-year sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. As the year comes to a close, we're offering unbeatable deals and a wide selection of new 2023 Jeep models like the Grand Cherokee, Grand Cherokee L, Renegade, Gladiator, Wrangler, and the Wrangler 4XE. In addition to incredible savings, we're also offering generous trade-in values for your current vehicle. Upgrade to a newer model while getting the most out of your trade-in. Hurry in. These deals won't last long. Shop our great selection of new inventory and start the new year in style. With so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick em, Bears! Looking to connect with Baylor alums in your area? Baylor alumni can help. Looking to host a watch party in your city? Baylor alumni can get you started. Want to step out in your community and serve with other alums? Baylor alumni is your connection with the university and each other. Let's get started. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. It's 365 Sports, Samantha Duvall, TexasBeefHouse.com. I'm David Smoke, and how about the success of your auction? So good, right, with all of your great product, your age, Wagyu, and more, that you're going to do something similar at the early part of December. Yeah, so we had such a good auction that we feel like we found a different way to sell our beef. So on December 1st, we're going to do a silent auction, and it's going to be all online at cci.live. And it's going to last from December December 1st to December 3rd. And we're calling it the Silent Night Auction with 12 different lots for the 12 days of Christmas. We'll have all of the information online at TexasBeefHouse.com. TexasBeefHouse.com. Again, this is uh, aged Wagyu beef and, and so much more. And this, Samantha, is going to be for the steaks. Is that correct? Yes. It will all be for different packages that are full of steaks, skirt steaks, flap steaks. Flat iron. It's going to be a variety. That way, it's kind of like a Christmas package. All of our hamburger and sausage are still available online. 
Um, and you can use gift cards not only online, but you'll also be able to use them for the auction. So once again, TexasBeefHouse.com. Such an incredible auction that he experienced. And now again, Samantha starts December 1st for three days. Is that correct? That is correct. So we can't wait for y'all to see how this one's going to go. I can't wait. The steaks are amazing. They are delicious. Mouthwatering delicious. TexasBeefHouse.com. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house. When you order from Texas Beef House, unleash the flavor of Texas Wagyu from our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. This is 365 Sports. Text us at 254 339 1122. The text line is sponsored by Riverbend Liquor and Wine with the most extensive variety of craft beer in Waco, a hidden gem on Lakeshore Drive and 19th Street. Cedric Golden, Austin American Statesman, columnist, joins us, 365 Sports. Cedric, we've heard about what kind of a run, the journey of this UT football team, how it slowly but surely with Steve Sarkeesian fixed and worked on the culture. Um, And us against the world, embrace the hate and all of that. They don't always live up to that. This team seems to have a lot of grit to it. Your, your, Your thoughts about that? Yeah, Smokey, they've, they've, they've overcome some obstacles. Uh, you know, there are games that they are involved in that they probably should have worked the opponent. I mean, you're tied with Houston in Houston. You, they, they turn out to be a bad team. Uh, it's 10-10 at the end of the third quarter against uh, Wyoming. Uh, so those kind of things could have conspired against them, but they figured out a way to win those games and make that record hold up. Uh, they they are what they call a revenge tour. They check some boxes. They check the Alabama box. They check the Iowa State box. They check the Texas Tech box. And here they are uh, on the cusp of making some real history. They already have, but much bigger history if they can win a couple of more games. Well, the Washington box would be another one too, right? Um, but oh, because, yeah, because of the bowl game. So uh, Quinn Ewers. Uh, yeah, everybody knows how talented he is, but Cedric, I mean, and this is just me, I'm not watching them as closely every week as you are, but I always felt he was kind of like right there, you know, and just waiting for that moment. Have we seen his moments in the last couple of weeks where he has now maybe broken through and he is what they exactly what they thought he was going to be? Paul sure feels like it. It feels like it. Uh, they He's done what's been asked of him. Uh, he morphed from a game manager to a game changer in the last two weeks. And, and when you look at his uh, performances over the first couple of seasons, they've been uneven. I mean, 19 of 45, you talk about checking off the Oklahoma State box. He was 19 of 45 in Stillwater with three picks. He's his worst game of his career. And then he comes back and he lights it up and, and just uh, just feels like he is he's approaching – the next level in his maturation as a quarterback. He's still only 20 years old, and uh, his best games are probably ahead of him. So a better shape than he was last year, playing at about 195 to 200, getting around a lot better, overcame yet another injury, and he's playing his best ball at the perfect time of the season. So, yeah, I I think he's starting to realize that he can be very good at this football thing. 
Cedric, uh, just on Saturday, what was the, the pageantry and just the feel like? I mean, given the, the game itself, UT was pretty much in control throughout. But, uh, you know, just the, this long-awaited road to the end of the Big 12, going out on top, all that came with that, your mark, the fans. Uh, just what was that scene like? How would you describe it on Saturday? Man, it went from it went from a nice um, coronation at the beginning into into a WWE uh, WrestleMania. Uh, your mark was Don Mysterio, and I don't know if you guys watch WWE, oh, yeah. but there's a guy there's a guy that every time he touches the mic, you can't even hear him because they're booing so hard. Mm-hmm. And we were in the press box; we couldn't even hear uh, your mark. And uh, you know, I would have loved it for it to have been Texas and OU. That would have been even funnier. But uh, I'm telling you, man, it it, it was a it was a great coronation for the horns and, and let's, let's just keep it real because we, we keep it real here on this show. Um, <laughs> they better get it now because that those opportunities may not be coming in the near future. I mean, they're going to be having to deal with Nick Saban and Kirby smart and Brian Kelly and those guys. We don't expect Florida to be, to be um, mediocre for long. And you got always got Aggie nipping at your heels. So, uh, I think I think this is the best time for them to get it while the getting is good. Uh, Washington is tremendous, uh, tough matchup. Uh, Michael Penix uh, last year in the Alamo Bowl threw for 280 and a couple of touchdowns. If I told um, Sarkeesian that he was going to throw for 280 and a couple of touchdowns this year, Sark might take that because Penix is on another level now. I mean, he's throwing for 350, 400. He's he's that guy with Polk and Adunse. Uh, and wideout. So I think uh, this this is a prime opportunity, not only to to win the Sugar Bowl, but to win a national championship. And I and I don't know if uh, you know I know Michigan is is badass, and so is Alabama. But I give Texas if they can get by Washington, I give Texas an excellent chance to win a national championship. Moving into the SEC, there was a thought that Oklahoma and Texas probably would struggle. I never thought that they would struggle. It wouldn't be, like, really easy, but this year things have fallen well for them. And, of course, they, as you said, survived. I think the K-State game in overtime, what, Kansas State's at about the three, five, seven-yard line. And, I mean, my God, if they score right there, then UT's hopes are over. They could still win the Big 12 title. Uh, This seems like everything is peaking at just the right moment, not only for this year, though, Cedric, but – Honestly, with what they have coming up next, too. I mean, the schedule might be tougher depending on what you think, but it it could not have clicked at a better time. It couldn't have clicked at a better time, and they got got the benefit of the doubt uh, with the selection committee. They went over Alabama. It was momentous. Uh, That was the one that carried them through. And uh, no matter what what the, uh, the naysayers say, the Longhorns went in there against a team that was 52-1 and one at the house and handed it to them by 10 points. And, uh, you know, I know Georgia thinks that they're the one of the four best teams in the country. I'm not going to dispute that, but remove all doubt. Don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Land a knockout, and then you win. So uh, th- this thing has fallen, fallen right for Texas. Texas made their own break. Uh, I was one of those that thought maybe if they didn't get in, they were never going to get over the day they let that OU lead get away because it cost them, but they survived that, and now they have a chance to win a national championship. And uh, Sarkeesian's done one hell of a job. They got 13-12 and 12 entering this season at Texas. That's not world beat. Those aren't world-beating numbers. But he, he's got his culture established. It's a player-led locker room. 
Uh, he is an open book. He, he's thankful for a second chance at a gig like this. And I think that they are making the most of it. This defense is the, is the bellwether of this team. Tavondre Sweat is the best player on the team. He's the best defensive tackle in all of football. Where he goes, the Longhorns follow. And if they can get Michael Penix off his spot and, and, and speed up that little clock in his head, I think they can win this game. Well, I, I think after we saw Trevondre Sweat, um, you know, catch a pass, like that's got to be in the in the system all the way through. I mean, it, that, I wouldn't want to cover him. He's a beast, and he's <laughs> um, he's one of those guys that uh, six five, three hundred and sixty five pounds, um, and he's got a, a never ending motor. He's one of those guys that's just unblockable. Sarkeesian says they've gotten very few holding calls against him. And um, and Murphy, and Murphy, but uh, I I just think that he's um, he's the one guy that's made it all go on that defense, and they can be had on the back end. Uh, they they've made they've been burned a couple of times uh, in that secondary by by quarterbacks who aren't nearly as good as Michael Penix Jr. So it's up to that front seven to get home, and if they can get home, that that makes it easier on the rest of the guys. Cedric came across a clip of uh, the post game there, uh, and you mentioned Dom Mysterio showing your wrestling knowledge there and the heat that he gets. But uh, what did you think of the Undertaker, who I know is a diehard Texas fan, giving Quinn Ewers a championship belt for MVP at the end of the game? Man, all I was missing was rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> where's Where's the Paul Bear when you need it? You yeah. know, and so. I, I was like, man, they, it was a WWE party, guys. Yeah. They had Undertaker there. Drew McIntyre was there. The announcer, Samantha Irwin, was there. She's married to Ricochet. So they had it all going. And, man, uh, what a moment. I don't even know if these kids watch WWE, but as someone who tapes it every week, uh, it's a, there's like five hours of wrestling, and I tape them both, and it takes me like an hour to watch them both because I fast forward through the stuff I don't like. But, yeah, for me, I thought that was cool. And, you know, Undertaker's a long-time Austin resident, and uh, he's a he's a big-time celebrity along with Mark Henry uh, in the 5-1-2. But that was a nice little touch to see Quinn get the championship belt. Hopefully it's not the last belt they get. All right, so this is the end of the year three for uh, Sarkeesian. Uh, we all know it didn't start well, and last year was kind of disappointing. Now this year – has been a great run with still more to get done. Uh, will they outbid themselves and renew his deal? Will they up him? How how will they handle uh, taking care of Sarkeesian because of the success? David, they got to be smart, man. You you don't want to you don't want to go down the same road that, I, that Ross Bork went down with with mm-hmm. Jimbo Fisher when you're just adding years, man. Just just make his fatten up his salary. Taking the eight or nine million a year, maybe one or two more years, maybe three at the most. Don't extend him to twenty thirty-five because then what happens? He gets in the SEC and then he usually puts up three or four clunkers, and then they start whispering about him because that kind of thing can happen. Uh, give these guys the money on the front end, and don't and don't don't load up years, uh, and then and then attach yourself to someone that just might not need to be attached to. So for me, I, I would say uh, give him a big fat raise, but don't, but don't, don't keep him around for 20 years because uh, a lot of marriages don't make it that far. 
Thank you, Cedric. Appreciate your time. Great to have you on. Enjoy the next few weeks of you covering Texas in the semifinals with Washington and maybe either Michigan in a rematch with Alabama. I agree with him on that. I just was curious because a lot of times they'll throw something out silly, but I like what Cedric had to say. Well, and they just got an example from their arch rival yeah. of what not to do, so I think that they'd be stupid as all get out to sit there and try to mimic that or follow that, and where's Sark going to go? Yeah. I mean, That's like, why, what? No, no, okay. I wanna, I'm not yeah. interrupting you. That's why I said don't bid against yourself because he's not going to leave UT. Right. And where is he going to go? So just handle it well without getting overextended like too many yeah. ADs do. Yeah, there's there's one job in the country that's for sure better than every other football job, and it's Alabama. And do you want to be the guy who follows Saban? Probably no. not. No. So, you know, I like mean, there's – it's not that much better than Texas. No, it's uh, not. Yeah. But, like, but as far as I know that here right. is the place, like it's – it's Alabama. Like that's really that's really the one, you know, that you know, there's not many places that have three coaches that have won national titles. I mean there's there's, you know, a couple, but like, you know, era to era, like Alabama like lifts over it, but you know, it, it's that's the one. But yeah, I wouldn't yeah, you could Texas. If you're a Texan, you're winning at Texas with you know, the ridiculous money around you, you're not going to... You would never see a Lincoln-Riley move from Texas somewhere else like you saw from Oklahoma, and that's why it was so shocking when we saw that one because yeah. that would never thought we'd see that at Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, in that one, you know, I think you could say, all right, maybe you just want to live in Southern California. There's some things you could point to, but, yeah, not much different jobs. Um, I guess just a hotter recruiting talent bed out there at USC. But, yeah, for UT, I mean, in comparison to any job, I mean, they're right there neck and neck, and the only thing you may get edged out on is number of titles that you've already won or things like that. But Sark's set up really well. I'm picking them, I think, to win the whole thing, guys. I don't know about y'all. I mean, I'm still going to give it some more thought, but I, I think that they're going to beat Washington. And I think, uh, you know, as much as I just talked about the SEC, it's it's not a lack of respect for them or what they've accomplished because I think I've made that clear every time we talk about them that, like, they've earned it through their play and through winning multiple national titles with multiple teams. It's just that the, the bias, especially by the media, just – it's overkill. They don't need it. They don't yeah. need the benefit of the doubt at every turn. They don't need, uh, you know, a bump. Uh, sometimes it's okay to not be in the playoffs. Sometimes it's okay to not be the greatest thing all the time. And that drives me mad of just that that sort of attitude. But I will say that they back it up. Um, their teams do. Multiple teams do. And it's not just a one-trick pony. And for all the hand-wringing over Florida State and all that, Alabama could very well go win the national title. And then what are we talking about? We're talking about the same exact thing where, oh, the committee got it right, and see, look, Alabama was the best team, and blah, blah, blah. And if they don't, then there's an odd that there's odds that Texas wins it, and they're a de facto SEC team at this point. So, I mean, it's just going to keep coming up roses for that conference. Uh, and they'll have, you know, a couple cracks where you could look at it that way of either a team that's already here or a team that's about to be here and will enter as national champions. Yeah. You know, although – Washington uh, and Michigan will have something to say about that. But, yeah, they're, they're set up really well to, uh, you know, see the rich get richer uh, with Oklahoma and Texas rolling in the way that they're, they're going to be rolling in. I, I think all three teams are bad matchups for Michigan because, they, yeah. like, Michigan has seen – well, they've seen Kyle McCord's the best quarterback they've seen all year, right? So – all th- um, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Kyle McCord and Drew Aller are the only ones that, like, you know, would. And Drew Aller didn't have a good game against them. And Kyle McCord played okay. He played, I mean, he was maybe uh, the difference between, you know, a closer. Well, I mean, it's still a touchdown game. So it's not that big of a deal. But um, 
but yeah, they've seen, but they have not seen a Penix, they have not seen a Ewers, and they have not seen Jalen Milrow, especially. Uh, well, they did play Heinrich Harburg. <laughs> this has been 365. <laughs> no. Uh, but no, like Jalen Milrow in his, in his current form, too, is really scary because. Uh, aggressive defenses are going to get burned by him. You know, when my I, I was talking uh, to my friends about like, hey, if, you know, the theoreticals when you go through, like, what if Jordan was there, like, and Alabama was in, like, I wouldn't want to play Alabama. Florida State's defense is great, but they're aggressive, and where Jalen Milrow gets you, and you saw it with Georgia yesterday, is even though they kind of contained his rushing for the most part, is that there are times where they've got you know Bond and Burton just running down the field, and everything's covered, and so he just squirts out and gets you know, 19 yards, and he's not even breathing hard. Yep. Like he's just yep. he's just that kind of an athlete. So it, it's impressive. Jordan Travis, I'll go back to that game with LSU and that shootout that I thought at the time was he was the Heisman Trophy leader because of how that game ended, and he was fantastic. I hate it for him. I thought his statement yesterday was great. He didn't insult anybody. He put his feelings out there, and, and I'm proud that he did. I, I, I really like the way – that young play, that young man plays. Speaking of which, the Heisman, they will be announcing here. I, I haven't even monitoring soon who are the finalists who will be a part of those who go to New York City for the Heisman Trophy announcement coming up on Saturday. When we come back, Paul Catalina and his top five. It's time for Paul Catalina's top five. Brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Top five CFP excuses. This is what the committee has done. Let's go through some history here, guys. Craig loves these. What the top five? No, the uh, oh, no. the CFP excuses. Yeah, okay. Like he, this was a lot of this was when I was going through this. I was hearing Craig's voice in my head talking about it. Okay, number five, travel time. That was one of the ones that they gave for assessing people. God, was yes. these guys were on planes more. So, and that like everybody flies differently, you know. Like I mean, so you know, I know people have huge anxiety of flying, and then. You know, it's about what an eighty-five minute flight from Dallas to Kansas City, yeah, something like that. Not that long, yeah. Yeah, um, it's an eight-hour flight from from Dallas to to Honolulu, and I've been on both those fl- flights multiple times, and I've seen people have the same anxiety on the same flight, and that eighty-five minute flight feels like an eight-hour flight to them. So again, I don't know, but this was one of the ones, and this was like the deep, um, like a deep body cut. clocks. Yeah, body yeah, clocks. And, about that. that was the big buzz phrase was body clocks and the the travel like different time zones and that load of BS from Jeff Long. God, that was the worst uh, there at the beginning of the playoff. They were game control. Whoa, whoa. Oh, I know. I'm just saying, though. <laughs> but like, these were all these things that they were rattling off as, again, reasons to just justify what they had already decided just because they wanted to. And then, oh, well, no. What, what, what do we have to explain why we did this? Oh, uh, travel time and body clocks and all this made-up BS. I will say, though, in terms of travel, Texas got the best draw out of everybody in the college football playoff and a huge advantage. Washington has to go all the way to New Orleans. Texas just has to hop on over uh, from Austin. It's not a nothing flight, but it's (laughs) nothing compared to Washington having to go there. Uh, And then what, the national title games in Houston? Yeah. 
So that sets up pretty well for UT as far as the tra- the travel time uh, thing goes. But yeah, that's a that's a weird argument uh, amongst many other weird ones. Number four, game control. Yeah, game control was okay. How do you determine who is better um, when their records are exactly the same? Well, not only how much you blew somebody out like because sometimes you can blow somebody out and those you know two touchdowns that you know turn into four touchdowns they were two freak plays at the end of the game so it was really a closer game until the last five minutes when there was a fumble and a pick six and the other team scored a couple touchdowns and put it away no it was really well throughout the first quarter and the third quarter this game like it was a completely arbitrary and non- uh, measurable metric of game control. What was what was Alabama's game control for the Auburn game? That just doesn't get brought Th- up as a thirty-one thing. seconds. Yeah. They controlled the last thirty-two yards of that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that you know if uh, if Hugh Freeze and Ron Roberts knew how to to run a defense there in those final seconds, then that renders everything that we're talking about today moot or, or entirely different, right? I mean that that one outcome. Uh, that that kept FSU out of the playoff. Yeah, uh, that one outcome and, and changed everything. Uh, but yeah, this was all the game control, the body clocks. That was all a Jeff Long thing right at the very beginning, and it was so bogus and it was so subjective. And, and that circles back to what I was talking about earlier, as far as just this is the dumbest way to decide a champion, the dumbest in all of American sports, the worst postseason uh, for determining a champion. And I guess the word I was looking for is it, it's just so subjective. And it, it, you know, there's no way to line everybody up in a March Madness style tournament. But why are we allowing subjectivity to rule over on-field results most of the time? You know what I mean? I just, yeah. I just find that to be so silly and and subjective. And, and the people who are the ones making those decisions, that's just yeah. But uh, game control, that was a Jeff Long special, and that was that was ridiculous. Number three, and this one was somewhat valid, but also used because they needed an excuse. The 13th data point. This is what kept TCU and Baylor out uh, of the 2014 playoff because the Big 12 did not have a title game. Uh, all the other Power 5 conferences did. And Bob Bolsby gift-wrapped the excuse to the committee uh, so that they didn't have to take any Tums that day. But the thirteenth. But when it was described to us as the fan and the viewer, it wasn't. Hey, uh, their commissioner refuses to name a champion uh, and is trying to leave it nebulous so that maybe we take two of his teams and leave somebody else out. Uh, we're going to call it a thirteenth data point that they didn't play the last week and everybody else did. So now those teams are in. Now where the thirteenth data point becomes bogus is that. Sometimes teams don't get the 13th data point because they lost one game to a really good team on their side of the conference, and then they still make the playoff. I raise, I see that and raise you the SEC and TCU last year. Georgia and TCU both, uh, well, Georgia did, but TCU did not win the conference. They were out. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, just a, a, a thing to use when you needed to use it. I mean, that's all that was. That that only mattered when they needed something to differentiate uh, and get Baylor and TCU out of the conversation. So all of a sudden, 13th data point mattered, just like when they needed to excuse why this team was over that team. All of a sudden, body clocks mattered. Again, it's all subjective, and it's all just 
whatever they need uh, to get through the television show that's a sham and just, uh, you know, put some type of reasoning out there for their entirely subjective decision-making. All right, we'll have the Heisman finalist in a minute, but uh, we go down, continue with the top five. Yeah, Paul? Garrett, I'm sending you a, a picture uh, that you can throw up there um, here in a second. Number two, best over most deserving. Look, this was the argument, and, and, and Bill Hancock threw this out. It's usually been the most deserving, and no sport really guarantees that the best teams are going to be in it. Uh, the Patriots were 18-0 and and played a very scrappy Giants team that had to win a Super Bowl like this with Eli yeah. Manning almost getting sacked. Like, that's how they had to do it. Were the Giants the best team? No. If they played that game 10 times, the Giants probably lose nine of them. The Patriots are that good. But that's why you do it and you earn your way in. The Giants, you know, the Giants were better than the Cowboys that year for the, the long short, but they beat them in the playoffs because they were given an opportunity to coach it up and figure it out and play it, and they did. And then if it is about the best teams, then you don't need any Would of Florida the other Florida Atlantic or San Diego State get in the college football no, playoffs? So. Yeah, I mean, the same yeah. rules. So, no, the best of our most deserving, like, if we're looking for the four best teams, then why – why should why should the games matter then? And what like when do they stop mattering if you're looking for the best team? Okay, like that's it. Like when does that point it, happen? Because it again, helped. it was it, they this year they decided it was uh, best eye test and yeah. not most deserving. Other years it's most deserving. Again, they just came to the conclusion they wanted to come to, and mm -hmm. they justified it the way that they felt they needed to, and then they moved on and. They don't give a damn about any of the fans out there, man. They got what they wanted. They got the TV product they wanted. And you know what? Alabama, it's nothing against them. It's not their fault. They did their job. You know, they won the SEC. They beat Georgia, which were, everybody's just kind of, like, moving yeah. past already. Like, this this juggernaut that was in line two, three games away sure. from winning three straight national titles. And we're just like, oh, they got beat. But, oh, wait. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I mean, that's the playoff has completely clouded that result. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just this was – this year, it was the best, and it was the eye test. Again, a very subjective thing by a bunch of people just sitting in a room. But they're all watching the game, so we should just trust their opinions on this. Yeah. No ulterior motives whatsoever. Yeah. And number one, your QB is out. All right, there's 21 other players. And, it like, I get it. Like, look, the, the team is different. But they found ways to win both times. And, yes, it is harder, the degree of difficulty, if Florida State had to play Michigan as opposed to Louisville, who was pretty darn good all year long, or any of those other teams, is going to be raised. But if you're going to give figure skating style judging, because that's what they're doing here, uh, if you're going to do that, then raise the degree of difficulty and put Florida State in because... Look, it's going to be tougher to beat Michigan, but if you give them a month to figure it out, hell, maybe they might do it. Maybe they might do it. Well, but we'll uh, never know. We'll never yeah. know. Uh, here are – thank you, Paul. Are you, are you better? I'm never going to be better. Okay. Well, I'm not, no, like, I, I won't I, get I over it. this as I long as I live. I wish my favorite team in 2001 had not been <laughs> added to the national championship after getting smoked by Colorado so they could play the greatest, perhaps, team of all time, Miami, and it was like that. All right. The four Heisman finalists, not in any particular order other than alphabetically. LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, Ohio State receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., Bo Nix, Oregon quarterback, and Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback at Washington. Not surprised by that four at all. 
No. Although, I mean, if you want to put a fifth in there, I would put Jordan Travis. Since apparently he's good enough to affect the entire national championship picture. No, he can't win the Heisman. He's hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder who and when has there been a Heisman Trophy winner? And maybe just right there on my uh, – that was like hurt and missed a game or two at the end of the year. Yeah, like near when the because yeah. there's a lot of votes that were cast even a week ago when it was opened up. Yeah. I cast mine yesterday afternoon. I don't remember exactly the time, but I did. Yeah. All right. Uh, by the way, Paxton, I asked a couple of friends of mine if they had a Heisman Trophy vote who covered Texas, if extended one through let's say whatever number, where would they put Devondre Sweat on their ballot? And they have a ballot, and they said probably around eight. Around number eight. Also, also, Paxton, uh, I don't agree with your FSU should boycott the bowl game. I think they no, should. I think they should ever. try to convince all the guys that are going to opt out to stay, pay them a little extra money, and try to beat Georgia with all their might. It would yeah. be the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, I saw somebody. I think it was a media person making the argument that now, like, if Florida State was really deserving to go and beat Georgia, just never minding the fact that there could be several opt outs and all of these different transfer types portal. Of things. Yeah, yeah. For on both, both sides. Yeah. On both sides. So, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I can see like go beat Georgia and then claim the national title. You but know. it's the 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 Georgia team that lost yesterday and the Florida State team that's played like the likelihood of that being it. I can just tell you from Georgia's perspective, Brock Bowers, Amarius Mims, and Lad McConkey probably aren't playing in the game under any circumstances. Yeah. So that's three studs that are not going to be there. It's you know, great it doesn't matter see. because FSU's playing a backup quarterback anyway, yeah. <laughs> so nothing matters. Sergeant really. Pickles, it's been a while. He's a big Houston, uh, excuse me, Washington fan. Sorry, I'm late. Will be darn fun rematch against the Longhorns. I yeah. expect a close one either way. Go dogs! I, I can't Congrats. wait till he makes it to Lieutenant Pickles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if only for not for Tommy Tuberville, he would be Lieutenant Pickles by now. Yeah, one, no. that was a great win for the Huskies, though. That was, I mean, to beat Oregon twice and to do so. Oh, it's it's almost like why they play the games because Oregon was a nine and a half point favorite did, in that game. Why did we even play the game? Oregon should be in the CFP. They should be Pac-12 champion because a committee thought that they were better or yeah. people out in Vegas thought that they were better. I mean, that's basically how you're saying that you want to decide things at this point when it comes to, to the championships. But, uh, yeah, no, congratulations to the Huskies. They went out there. They left no doubts. They were the better team. And uh, what a performance by Michael Penix. And, yeah, very excited to see that matchup with uh, Washington and Texas. That's going right. to be awesome. 365 Sports tonight at 1030 on the local CW. Now brought to you and sponsored by GXG, the NIL Collective for Baylor. Also, the one other college football note we never got to was Caleb Williams. Not a surprise. Will not play in the Holiday Bowl for USC. And they will go with Moss at quarterback. Whatever happened to Malachi Nelson Nelson on that depth chart? Uh, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. They're probably trying to – well, I don't know. I don't know how much he's played this year. But I bet they have a transfer starting quarterback I mean, next he could year. be hurry. Yeah. He could be any number yeah, of things. I, don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. And then also, if you're a Big 12 basketball fan, I got to do this before we say goodbye. Arizona's one mm-hmm. next year. Kansas two. Houston three. Baylor six. Texas, BYU, and Oklahoma are all inside the top 20. Yeah, what you also did not mention there, though, is that if you're looking around at uh, Big 12 realignment rumors, uh, Gonzaga's in there. Yeah, they are. Uh, UConn's in there. Yeah, they are. Uh, So I think it would actually be if you took up all the rumors and who has been rumored to potentially join the Big 12 over the last uh, year and a half, you'd actually have, if all those things would have come to pass, I believe that would be six of the top seven ranked teams in the country. Arizona, Kansas, Houston, 
UConn, Baylor, Gonzaga. Now, obviously, it didn't work out for two of those teams or has not yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, four of the top six. And then, you know, if that had worked out, yeah, six of the top seven. But uh, we'll see if that ever comes to pass. UT just beat, uh, what, UConn? They're number five in the women's poll. Colorado, eight. Remember, they beat LSU and Baylor. Is at number 10, Utah, K-State, all in the top 15. Thank you, Emery Winter, Levi Caraway, Jack McKenzie. We tried to give you a lot, and we did, and hopefully we didn't just, like, jam it so far down your throat that it didn't make sense. Thank you, Garrett Ross, for weaving through all of that with your magical uh, ability there. Thanks to Paul Catalina. I, I made it through the whole all two shows, four hours of talking with no tears. No tears! Uh, someone yeah. said go by Balconies and pick up yourself another <laughs> bottle <laughs> on them. For Craig Smoke and I'm David Smoke, we're back at it again tomorrow. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Good night. This is 365 Sports. Ideal MRI is a small family business right here in Central Texas. We're open to support you while lowering the cost of health care bills. When you need an MRI, ask your doctor for an Ideal MRI. Visit us at IdealMRI.com or call us at 833-IDEAL-MRI.